Sundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, on matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. We cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com This is The Rundown, the most watched, least trusted Catholic disinfo hour. Elon Musk became the chief twit this week as he assumed his perch atop the Bluebird app. Kanye has declared war on the Red Sea pedestrians. Fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden endorses a cognitively incoherent U.S. Senate candidate, possibly in solidarity. And finally this week, the rundown debates the most divisive issue amongst all traditional Catholics. And no, it has nothing to do with liturgy or the papacy. Billion two hundred trillion two hundred billion dollars. I have not made that formal decision, but it's my intention. My intention to run again. And we have time to make that decision. Uh, Dr. Biden is for it. Mr. President. Oh, Dr. Biden thinks that uh, my wife thinks that. Uh, that I uh, that, that we're that we're doing something very important. And the fact is, is that uh, when I hear people talk about inflation, as I heard them there, we have to change that subject. Inflation is a global phenomenon. We have to change that subject. We have to change that subject. We have to change that subject. Inflation is a global phenomenon.
halfway through the debate, she still hasn't talked about locking up anyone committing any crimes. I don't know why that's so important to you. I don't know why that's so important to you. And the more people get vaccinated, get those shots in arms. And I would do it all over again what I did last year, that mandate for health care workers. I rode the subway yesterday and it's the same thing. I haven't put my AirPods in for over a year because I feel like I need to be very much aware. That's quality of life issue. You, you, you were right about, you know, not having your iPods in, not focusing on our phone. And I say yes to that. I do the same. And we put out a, a video and information telling people about being aware of what's around them and what's taking place. And I encourage New Yorkers to do that. That our children are not receiving affordable gender reassignment surgery along with hormone blockers and access to abortions. This alone is a threat to our democracy. Please get vaccinated. If you know someone who's not vaccinated, find a way to convince them to get vaccinated. Literally, the only people dying are the unvaccinated. And for those of you spreading misinformation, shame on you. Shame on you. People are needlessly dying because of your misinformation. Think about it. I don't know how some of you sleep at night who are doing this for a living on television. from the CDC today suggest, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick, um, and, and that it's not just in the clinical trials, but it's also in real-world data. And happy birthday, great president. Uh, we know uh, your mom's always with you. My, my, my legislation says there can be no more than eight bullets in a round, okay? This, this, this Delta variant, it spreads faster. And it is in many cases reported to be much more serious in terms of its impact. And the vaccine will protect you from it. And here's how I know. Virtually every person who is in the hospital sick with COVID-19 right now is vaccinated. Virtually every COVID death in America is preventable. Virtually everyone. Almost everyone who will die from COVID this year will not be up to date on their shots or they will not have taken Paxlovid when they got sick. Go ahead, big boy boy. Machine third class lower 21st company. Sir, through many of the definitions we voted on for what it means to live honorably, we talked about how to live honorably is different for every person based on their own world code. For nine missions here, myself included, getting the COVID vaccine would not be living honorably. Even so, the Academy has been attempting to strong arm us into either getting the vaccine or DOR for the past year. Okay, stop. So stop. Go ahead and stop right there. What, what, I don't want to have this conversation with the group. But I will personally have that conversation with you. That's not a one to four thousand conversation. That's a one to nine or one to ten conversation. So I'm not cutting you off because I don't want to answer you. 
Hi, this is Dr. Christy. I just want to give a brief public service announcement. I feel a responsibility as a physician to be honest about puberty blockers and hormonal therapy in teenagers. This can lead to infertility, and I don't know if that's really well known. Um, that means that you would never be able to have your own children. It really is important to go through puberty at your normal sex, as your normal sex, and at your normal rate, and not arrest that process. If I put the seat up to urinate and then put it down after I'm done, at your request, that is two seat repetitions per urinary event. This arrangement means that if you go into the bathroom, you can just sit down and urinate and leave with zero seat repetitions per urinary event. Would it not then be a fair and equitable marriage arrangement, creating a scenario where we are both responsible for only one seat repetition per urinary event? And she's gone. come to the microphone so we'll listen up. Okay. So my releasing virus 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 You've got your 10-minute intro, you've got your cat, you've got everything that you've ever wanted. Ladies and gentlemen, the rundown is back, and we are ready for a great evening. Ryan is joining us any moment now, but here's what I have to say to being late to the rundown. What are you, gay? James? He did it. He 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 achieved greatness. Elon Musk, after being sued by Twitter and compelled to purchase Twitter, is now the uh, well, the sole owner. Yeah, well, he called all bluff, and uh, now he's sitting on that throne. And I wonder what uh, is going to happen with uh, the way things are going, or the way 
the uh, Twitter had been running things. I wonder what's going to happen next. Well, it looks like the shadow banning has stopped. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, that. It, it, I've been told there's some shadow banning that's still going on. So whether or not, uh, I guess we, we we can be patient enough. Maybe give it a week, a couple weeks to see exactly what's happening, uh, because people are still complaining that there are accounts that used to be banned or that are still banned. So um, there's that. I refuse to give it a week. Do you know why? Because why in the first rodeo, when Elon was ostensibly going to purchase Twitter, when the deal was announced at the announcement of the deal, which wasn't set to close till October, they announced the deal in April. Suddenly on that day, all the shadow banning was rescinded. It's like it's one button that they can push. That's true. Good memory. Very good memory. That's exactly what happened. So, and that's uh, why it seemed, that's why it seemed like it was so contrived though. Right. Uh, I mean, it could, because it's not as easy as pushing one button, even though he's let a bunch of people go. And those people are standing outside Twitter headquarters, literally with their like cardboard boxes and MSNBC is doxing them like their supposedly. names and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. it, look, it looks really sad. <laughs> it's true. I mean, as far as the algorithm and stuff goes, I mean, who knows? It could have been, um, I mean, these they're computer geniuses that work for these guys, they could literally just uh, identify certain things, certain keywords and, and block them um, and whatnot. But yeah, it's, I mean, as far as uh, Elon being forced to buy Twitter, that was that was a unique curveball because I mean, you have all these liberals, you know, progressives rather uh, screaming, oh, no, we can't let this uh, free speech maniac uh, buy Twitter because uh, our democracy will be under threat for allowing, you know, the First Amendment. <laughs> Um, but then they go and sue him for not buying it, for trying to back out. And so it's like the, the libs are the ones that actually kind of forced him to actually buy it in the first place now because uh, they, they sued him so that he would. This forces us back into the discussion of whether or not free speech is actually a good thing. Maybe we can punt on that until Ryan gets here because I'm sure he has a, a fairly strong argument one way or the other on that. I'll just say this uh, just to stir the pot. There are lots of people out there who are celebrating the fact that Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter. May I be the first to remind you that Elon Musk is not exactly one of us. He's not our ally. He's not politically conservative. He's not socially conservative. Uh, and he's certainly not a Roman Catholic. Uh, he's a big world government kind of guy uh, who maybe is slightly right of center and perhaps is going to allow conservatives to speak their piece, but it's not as though he's going to censor liberals. And it's certainly not as though freedom of speech <laughs> error has no rights, James. I mean, that's that's one of the philosophical principles of being Catholic. You can't platform error. You can't give it rights. And to the extent somebody is speaking error, particularly blaspheming God uh, or mocking God or inciting others to do so, you have to destroy that person. You must in justice. Right. You're absolutely right. And this reminds me, I mean, people are fawning over uh, Elon Musk, uh, Musk the, the same way they fawn over Howard Hughes. And, uh, you know, they sort of revered Howard Hughes. He was this uh, magnate of a figure that uh, everyone wanted to be around. And, you know, everything he did uh, supposedly turned into gold. And uh, people sort of uh, uh, threw him all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of this, they, they, they threw at him this sort of, uh, uh, idea that he was a reverential figure, you know, and, uh, you know, it still sort of uh, makes me wonder how people can just be so callous when it comes to using right judgment to judge somebody for who they are, you know, not exactly, you know, the kind of uh, you know, business engagements 
uh, and, uh, sorry, business engagements they're you know taking on. I mean, Howard Hughes took on a lot, and Elon uh, Elon Musk has taken on a lot, which of course attracts uh, publicity. But you know, it's uh, it's exciting. You know, when people talk about SpaceX or Teslas, and so uh, you know we're we're so eager to reverse someone like that uh, who's involved in doing uh, you know much for science or much for technology. But uh, he's got a he's a complicated fit, uh, person. He's talks talking about you know AI. You know who knows. Uh, Fetterman could be his very first experiment that we're witnessing in front of us right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we we'll get to tell. Fetterman, and I think that's a great point, uh, James. Brother, aren't we just desperate for a hero? Yes, I think we're, we've been saying this kind of on the rundown for sure. When uh, when Trump came into office, and um, people, especially on the left, were shouting about dem uh, demagogues and all that kind of stuff. We are we're 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 desperate to to have a a political savior, so to speak, so that we can have a comfortable life here and now. And not have to worry about a lot of things that um, are, are across, so to speak. I mean, just the temporal reality. It's difficult. Um, it's not for losers. And so, and we just don't want to have the um, the circumstances to where we actually have to man up and, and face reality. I think. Um, so we always want a, a very a very easy life, and we think that a political leader can can give us that life. Um, there was something I wanted to say also about uh, or libertarianism so to speak this um elon musk uh, giving the left a voice as well i mean the marketplace of ideas it's it, in one sense it uh, it can be attractive to some conservatives some, some catholics precisely because they think that oh we have the truth so ultimately we're going to win out that's not necessarily the case unless you you want to submit your passions to your intellect and um, then truth really has no advantage i mean if you want to use your intellect to satisfy your passions which is actually what a lot of pagans do um, they actually do believe that the intellect exists to find ways to satisfy their passions without getting in trouble, so to speak. Um, then, that, then the marketplace idea isn't working. Catholic truth is going to win the battle because people have to want the truth over their passions. And so one of the things that uh, libertarians or, I mean, from the Enlightenment period, Immanuel Kant uh, in particular um, suggested was that uh, for, for the unthinking mass, for the unthinking mass, that you use uh, terms of... of um, prejudices to, to to instill them in, into their minds so that they actually come to believe to believe it what i'm what i'm saying is that you know today we hear the term bigot used bigot racist fascist constantly being used but this is the this is precisely how um the left the libertarians will will use passions and prejudices to convince the unthinking masses to still control society so ultimately it's, it's still an uneven playing ground because the majority of people still are controlled by their passions rather than their, their intellect and so this libertarianism, this marketplace of ideas is, is never going to be a it's always going to be an uphill battle for Catholics. Let's talk a little bit about that control and uh, the fact that uh, Elon Musk is very much a part of that control. The United Nations Agenda 21 Sustainable Development. It is the inventory and control plan, inventory and control of all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals all construction, all means of production, all food, all energy, all information, and all human beings in the world. And this is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations back in 1992. It's a United Nations plan. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. And so many of us around the world think that oh, sustainable development, it just sounds so great. Isn't it about recycling and creative reuse and creating energy and food resources for everyone? And the answer is no. 
it really is not. It's about moving populations into city centers, concentrated city centers, and clearing them out of the rural areas. It's constructed of non-governmental organizations, corporations, and government in order to dictate and regulate what it is that happens around the world. Regionalization is the stepping stone to globalization, and globalization is the standardization of all systems. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. The principles are public-private partnerships, which is fascism. And this is how it's implemented on the ground, is through this joining together between corporations, non-governmental organizations, and governments in order to cut out the actual individual, your voter, and instead to take that to a level where we literally cannot penetrate. This is a corporatocracy. It's a totalitarian state being developed right now all over the world. While we are moving towards the end game, we are not there. And this is the opportunity that all of us have now to stand up, to speak out. We are free, and we need to continue to be free. And I do believe that we will win, but we have to become aware that there is a fight. I'm not sure what gives her so much confidence that we'll win, but James, setting aside the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump, uh, when you look at all of the so-called conservatives that we have been served up on a platter, from Bush Sr. to Bob Dole to Bush, baby Bush Jr. Uh, to Mitt Romney. Uh, I mean, all of these people are bought and paid for by this Agenda 21 and uh, this agreement that was signed in 1992. They're just moving at the same uh, destination in a different, uh, they're taking a different route, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, you're, you're absolutely right. I'd say the, the uh, conservatives or Republicans, whatever you want to call them, They've been doing this for years. We've uh, seen this happening. I mean, we talk about someone uh, like uh, G. Edward uh, Griffin, who, uh, with the John, uh, John Birch Society at the time, was giving us uh, all indications that uh, both parties were the same and uh, they were trending toward this uh, uni party, which we've we've now see, uh, seen. Um, and we heard this, of course, from uh, J.K. Chesterton talking about two characters in his book, uh, Hudge and Gudge. You know, uh, they want the same thing eventually. You know, one of them just takes a sore path, maybe a different path that leads ultimately to the same goals. You know, uh, we we saw this. People said to us, oh, you know, you're a conspiracy theorist. Just vote for Bush. You know, uh, what are you talking about? Uh, we, we really need uh, Homeland Security. Uh, it'll give us more security than we've ever had because of uh, Osama bin Laden. And look what it's done. Look what it's look at where it's led. You know, now they're using the governments that we've created against us. And this is exactly what they want to do. The more government control there is in the United States, the more control eventually uh, uh, there will be uh, a lot more control used against us. These powers that, that they're usurping for themselves, they'll use them against us. And it's been proven time and time again. Um, Homeland Security was one of the latest ones. But prior to that, we had Department of Edu Education. You know, it's such an innocuous thing to think about Department of Education. What will they, you know, well, what's there to be worried about when you think about Department of Education? Well, think think about how our kids or, you know, uh, pe people's kids, our friends' kids are being led off to the, to the slaughter. They go to college, 
you know, and they, they come back, uh, you know, spouting all kinds of different ideologies. You know, where do you think this, this comes from? You know, they knew all along that they had to target the school system. And right now they're targeting our little kids. And what what are the uh, Republicans uh, doing? All they're doing is uh, going to Congress and holding, uh, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, you know, uh, getting on a platform and just talking about it without really doing anything, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, a bunch of hand-wringing yeah. and pearl-clutching. Yeah, pearl-clutching, exactly right. I mean, let me let me let me offer this as a as a piece of advice. The fact that Elon Musk is now the owner of Twitter um, does not necessarily mean that Twitter is not a social media platform and that it's not spying on us. In fact, by opening up to the right, by opening up Twitter and allowing more people on the so-called right conservatives uh, or boomer GOPers <laughs> to get on Twitter and say what they want with a little bit of impunity. He is inviting everyone to continue to create content and put their opinions out there in a way that makes them not only uh, uh, catalogable, but controllable, brother. So in a way, this is a masterstroke. The right is celebrating this supposed uh, alleged victory with Elon Musk, the hero of so-called free speech, taking over Twitter. But I would argue that this is one of the most dangerous things that has happened to humanity uh, within this last week, at, at, at least, because now people are going to be blindly led into the slaughter. Twitter is still very much spying on everything that we do and say and triangulating our comments. And it knows who our friends are, who are who we're hanging out with and group chats and that sort of thing. Create a new account under your phone number and it will suggest to you who your friends ought to be. It will know automatically who you need to connect with. Brother, this this is more Agenda 2021. It's true. It's true. And we can see that precisely because of uh, FBI targeted raids. Um, this past year, there were several pro-life clinic- clinics that were bombed that, that they reported this to the FBI and still there hasn't been a single arrest connected to the bombings of these pro-life centers. However, there's been so many pro-life activists who have been arrested, you know, FBI raiding their homes, arresting them in front of their kids uh, at, at seven o'clock in the morning. And so even though Twitter might be free, so to speak, um, this country still is not. And so if you're putting all this information out there, making yourself catalogable, saying, um, you know, putting putting your, your real ideas out there, um, your actual ideas, the government can still look at you, collect collect all of your data find out where you live, connect you with your phone number, all that kind of stuff, and eventually raise your home at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it, it is dangerous. You're, you're, you're not always free to say exactly what you want to say. And un- unfortunately, I mean, you can, you can spend an, a year and a half in jail to, to get your quick and speedy trial, so to speak, to say, oh, I have a, a right in the, in the First Amendment to say what's on my mind. Um, but that's, that's actually not the case. Um, we aren't free in this country. And so we do have to find methods. I mean, paper and pencil, back to the old days. Of spreading ideas and and sticking together and and well helping each other get to heaven because ultimately the state isn't what what matters it's it's getting souls to heaven one more note on twitter thought on this james i'll let you react to it i would contend that people are more honest on twitter than they are on any of the other social platforms because on twitter you have relative anonymity or at least the guise of relative anonymity it's a lot easier to create an account you don't have to provide a lot of identifiable information to twitter 
And so it seems to the average user that they're not really giving up much privacy in exchange for the ability to quote unquote poop post uh, uh, all over the place and say what's really on their minds. Now we have a bunch of conservatives, so-called, who are going to be incentivized to go and say what's really on their minds. And it will be documented by a massive technology company, which is saving every, not only every tweet, not only every like, not only everything that you've ever hovered over, but everything that you've thought about tweeting, almost tweeted, typed, and then deleted. <laughs> right. That is so true. You know, we laugh about uh, FedBook and what FedBook does with, uh, you know, people who have their faces on, whatever. That Well, FedBook helps to collect uh, real, real data that's attached to you, that metadata, you know, your friends, your families. It's got pictures of your kids. You know, whatever you're doing on Fedbook, it's cataloged. But then you you might not have, uh, you know, anything, uh, you know, bad that you're doing, but at least they're grabbing information. And I guarantee you, they're basically lining it up to, uh, you know, whatever identity you have on Twitter. And they're getting they're getting a fuller picture of who, of, of who you are. You may not you may you may think both accounts are disconnected, but uh, they, they probably are connected and they're finding ways to connect you even more. So you think you have this um, anonymity on uh, on Twitter, but there's there's already AI going in and sort of creating a map between the identity you have on Twitter and the identity you have on fa on Facebook. They they, they have basically uh, uh, some sort of coding that they they use to to map where you're tweeting from, who you're tweeting to, who's responding. Uh, everything's coded in there, you know, and, and the more. We think we have this freedom. Uh, the more dangerous it becomes for us as we keep sharing more and more of our thoughts. Um, it's you know, it's just uh, it's par for the course. It's exactly what they want. They want this cloak of uh, you know a deception uh, to 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 be over us, so we just do things without really thinking. And that's that's the sign of our times. You know, we're just mm -hmm. animals of slaughter. They're not really thinking. By the way. If you happen to believe uh, that there is no link between your Twitter account and uh, your Facebook account, just ask Kanye. Just ask ye. <laughs> just ask ye if there's a link between all of his social media accounts. Because if you say something that is not approved on any one of the platforms, not only will you be deplatformed by all of them, but you will be as he was last week, Kanye West. For speaking out against the Red Sea pedestrians, and we'll get into that because we have oh, that's a great one. <laughs> we, have, we have a uh, we have a Red Sea pedestrian who's dialing in now, uh, who can in help us unpack the Kanye. Welcome, Ryan, father, new father. How are that's you, right. sir? Again, um, I'm doing well. In fact, um, as a new father, uh, we were finally able to get the baptism uh, scheduled tomorrow which is the longest we've ever waited, but because of, you know, circumstances and, uh, you know, being in a hospital and not really being able to get out until I could get my wife discharged. So uh, anyway, then the, the long had to get, I've been needing to get my kids dress clothes for a while, but so, and then I've got a seven-year-old. I don't know if anyone has tried to find clothes for a seven-year-old uh, dress clothes. You find something, if you find anything that fits at all, it's like the one thing with the worst possible design on a shirt and it's like the only thing there is amidst a whole sea of hoodie, gangster, wannabe type of uh, outfits for your little one. 
I know. Um, and so I know. for last minute, when I don't have the chance to visit a local uh, shop for it, which would be better. So anyway, um, so I apologize for my tardiness, but we're glad uh, you're here. Glad to be here. So we we did we did the Twitter talk already. You missed it, but we'll go back to freedom <laughs> of speech, so called, uh, with you with the benefit of your opinion. We're talking about Kanye West. For those who don't know, Kanye said that he is going DEFCON 3 on the Jews. He has declared war on the Jews. And today, just today, I saw a headline. He released a spreadsheet that he made, it looks like, or at least that he's obtained, where he is naming all the top Jew executives at uh, within all of the uh, entertainment business. So that includes news media and entertainment media. And it's a pretty extensive spreadsheet. He is he is saying that the Jews are in charge of everything. And because he said that, Ryan, well, he can't even have a bank account anymore because they're not in okay. charge. And here's That's how the much they're thing. not in charge. <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things that as a Jew myself and seeing at least of Jewish heritage and seeing the, these types of uh, discussions, I've always been sen sensitive to the, the real authentic anti-Semitism. But on the other hand, even when I was a kid, I said, I wonder if, uh, you know, as I knew how people like it, when I was a kid and, and actually went to synagogue and I, and I kind of connected that not everyone who went there was the best person. And I, I often thought of that is maybe that's the reason why, um, you know, people uh, don't like, Jews so much is how they act. And of course, that was, you know, this peratchedent superficial thing based on that nonsense. But really stop and look around at the fact that you, everyone, and it's not about religiously observant Jews. We all know that. It's really being, you know, I mean, I wasn't bar mitzvahed. So in, in a real orthodox religious sense, I would not be considered a Jew. But I'm part of the race, you know, I'm, I'm from that, that heritage. And it, it, just as all these executives in all these various places that run, you know, so many things. And, and guess what? Is it a crazy thing to say they work together for mutual interests? Um, and it, Kanye is basically saying that. And here he is being canceled. But what I wanted to do, um, I'm, I'm looking very quickly to try to find it. There was a news article. And um, I'm trying to find it. It was in the L.A. Times. And some of you might have seen this article. So if, uh, you know, you remember it before I managed to find it and pull it up. And this fellow was, you know, a Jewish head of, you know, a lot of different groups down in L.A. He wrote an op-ed in the L.A. Times saying, why is the ADL getting freaked out about Kanye? He's right. And it's glorious. And this L.A. Times article proceeded to go through um, why the history of Jewish ownership in Hollywood and how that's pushed issues from, um, you know, the, the civil rights movement down to, uh, you know, gay rights and now trans rights. He, and he credits the Jews in Hollywood for doing it. So here's a Jew crediting the Jews in Hollywood for pushing the needle on uh, trans activism and, and, and gay marriage and so many other things. Right. And he's like, I, I don't care if people know and want to complain about Jewish ownership as long as we stay in charge. And that's how he ends the article. Somebody, somebody points out in the live chat that uh, one of the categories that Yi has not yet uh, doxxed are all the Jew executives of porn sites and the Jew producers of porn in these United States and in North America at large. We don't know yet. The jury's still out as to whether or not Kanye West actually does oppose 
the production, distribution, and viewing of uh, sale of pornography. Uh, but we do happen to know uh, with a high degree of certainty that much of it is, in fact, produced by the Red Sea pedestrians. Uh, James, is it, is it really like a cancelable offense for Kanye West to say, as Ryan said, that a group of people who have a common heritage and shared last names and everything uh, are working together in in a way for a mutual interest. Is that a reason to cancel somebody? Well, it's 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 quite a silly uh, reason because all he's doing is just pointing out the the obvious, and all you have to do is just uh, name uh, your favorite uh, musical artist or actor or whatever. You'll find. Behind behind the scenes, there's somebody there with that noticeable last name, you know, maybe even noticeable appearance, and you're saying, "Huh, this is very interesting." Uh, you know, even even your favorite rap artist from the early '90s, you know, they all had handlers, um, and it's surprising people don't uh, haven't. I mean, it's funny, but when you search deep within rap music, for instance, they make reference to this, and they have they haven't making reference to this for. Uh, for years. And, you know, of course, people didn't really do much about it. Uh, but when you're talking about somebody who's, uh, you know, a billionaire finally raising uh, concerns or maybe just pointing out the obvious, you know, why we, we we're, we're in these movements to free ourselves. Why are we chaining ourselves even more to people who don't necessarily have our best interest? That's a very good question, you know. And so he's asking these questions and nobody wants to, to listen. Instead, instead they want to cancel him i mean isn't it, I, isn't it kind of well known that tupac was onto this issue yeah you're 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 absolutely right you know so so was uh at, at the time you know people who, who were talking about it was uh, i mean uh dr dre for instance who talked about it yes but then he fell right back into it you know so mm. uh uh so yeah a lot of people who had frustrations you know about about this they they let it be known in their music and uh it's certainly uh the scourge, even even uh, you know, uh, Jewish people themselves make make fun of this. You know, I, somebody showed me a clip many years ago of uh, Larry David uh, making some sort of joke about this. You know, it's it's accepted in movies w within the context of a movie, but if you speak about it outside of the context of a movie for yeah. jokes or whatever it is, then it's it's an issue. You know, no one talks about. I talk about how uh, detrimental it is for you know, uh, blacks to be, you know, involved in black on black, uh, crime or, or, you know, or whatever we, we can at least kind of talk about that. You know, you wouldn't necessarily get canceled, but if you say, well, you know, uh, you know, these people are perhaps heading the interest of these other people, and maybe that's not a good idea. Then they say, well, how dare you even mention it in the context of, of anything other than, you know, they're doing it because wait a second, they're not even doing it at all. You know? And so it's like, wait a second. You almost admitted it, but now you're saying it's it's a non-issue and you're you're uh, disavowing it. Which is it? You know, but the receipts are there. You can get, you can go through uh, all the receipts. I'm sure I'm sure Kanye uh, has fantastic uh, receipts, and you can you you can sort of see he, he go does make, yeah. he does. We're gonna read this L.A. Times article by uh, Joe Stein. Uh, uh, no surprise, but I do need to say one <laughs> thing. I need to I need to intervene. And apologize. Although some of you might be impressed with my cultural knowledge for knowing that Tupac Shakur was uh, was onto this particular issue, and well, he's dead now. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't actually know how to pronounce "yay." Apparently, it's it's pronounced "yay" as in Kanye.
So, breaking, uh, breaking news, breaking news. <laughs> we, we're, we're at the point now, gentlemen, where we need to, um, you know, we can't say two syllables uh, for Kanye. We're just going to say the yay. It's a truncation. Right. So it's not ye, it's yay. Thank you, right. uh, Dr. C, for the correction via his wife, Mrs. C. And uh, message. We, is, we can't say Michael. We, just, we have to just say Mike. Yeah. We just have to say Cole. <laughs> Cole. And, and you're there Tin. You and there. Ryan is. And yeah. Ryan is a. Ryan is on. a. On. stage. I don't know. On. Sorry. Um, let's have a quick reading from the Los Angeles Times. How deeply Jewish is Hollywood? Question mark. When the studio chiefs took out a full-page ad in the Los Angeles Times a few weeks ago to demand that the Screen Actors Guild settle its contract, the open letter was signed by News Corp President Peter Shernan, Jewish, Paramount Pictures Chairman Brad Gray, Jewish, Walt Disney Company Chief Executive Robert Iger, Jewish, Sony Pictures Chairman Michael Linton, surprise, Dutch Jew, Warner Brothers Chairman Barry Meyer, Jewish. CBS Corp Chief Executive Leslie Moonves, so Jewish his name, his great uncle was the first Prime Minister of Israel. MGM Chairman Harry Sloan, Jewish. And NBC Universal Chief Executive Jeff Zucker, mega Jewish. If either of the Weinstein brothers had signed, this group would have not only have the power to shut down all film production, but to form a minion with enough Fiji water on hand to fill a mikvah. Okay. I don't know what any of that means, but Joe Stein in the Los Angeles Times concurs with what Ye is saying. Uh, so why is Ye, who is a black man and not of Jewish descent, as far as we know, not allowed to say something that Joe Stein said, uh, what is this, years ago in the Los Angeles Times? Why, why, why is it okay? It says, quote, the Jews are so dominant, I had to scour the trades to come up with six Gentiles in high positions at entertainment companies. When I called them to talk about their incredible advancement, five of them refused to talk to me, apparently out of fear of insulting Jews. The sixth, AMC president Charlie Collier, turned out to be Jewish. Okay. Better. I think, yeah, I think that the next paragraph answers the oh, question. As a proud Jew, I want America to know about our accomplishment. It says, quote, yes, we control Hollywood. Without us, you'd be flipping between the 700 Club and Davy and Goliath on TV all day. I ask you, <laughs> so rundown, <laughs> I ask you, rundown audience, would that be the worst thing in the world? No. <laughs> now, brother, I, I got to get you in on the conversation because I cannot help but notice that with one of the largest news stories uh, to hit us in the last two weeks, right? Kanye West going, quote unquote, DEFCON 3 on the Jews, end quote. There has been a lack of journalistic interest in this story within the Catholic blogosphere from the fake Catholic news organization that calls itself, you know, whatever Fox news uh, to, to, to everyone else. Nobody is curious on discussing what is the deplatforming, the debanking, and the depersoning of one of the world's most famous, powerful, and one of the richer people on the planet. 
Well, that's it. You know, if you're a Christian and and, and uh, a gay couple walks in and says, "Hey, bake me a cake," and you refuse to do so, well, you got you're, you're being sued for discrimination um, from not providing them a service. However, if you're J.P. Morgan and one of your clients or whatever that you don't personally speak with, but whatever, um, says something on a social media account that you don't like, all of a sudden you can cease providing him services just just like that, and, and tell him to go elsewhere. And all the other banks could do the same thing. There absolutely is a double standard, and I do think that a lot of a lot of uh, Catholic media organizations and whatnot do fear the lashback from appearing, even the appearance of being an, an anti-Semite. Uh, for this reason, obviously, I mean, racism, qual racism, racism as simply not liking someone for their the particular color of their skin, their skin pigmentation is, is a bit ridiculous. Um, but if if there's a, a certain group, I mean, like the St. Gallen Mafia in, wants us in control of the College of Cardinals and the papacy, you call them out as, as they are, the St. Gallen Mafia. They're not necessarily united because of skin color or uh, any other demographic besides being cardinals and being progressive. Um, but if there is somebody in, in the media, for instance, that are all united because of a similar idea, and that idea is, pre is precisely their, their current religious beliefs, you know, post uh, the, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, and then you call it for what it is. Um, I mean, we, we've shown videos in, in the past um, that show us that, that this, this idea isn't exactly crazy, that it's, it's, it's somewhat well-founded. Um, and Kanye's coming on coming on the same thing and as you mentioned before Tupac was coming on the same thing so it's it's not it's, it's not there's no hatred in a sense for um you know wanting a, a, a holocaust so to speak um again or whatever but it's, it's calling things as they are there is a certain control of media of entertainment which is i guess categorized under media how interesting is that um to, to control the masses and as i spoke earlier about the passions i mean of course why would they control media why would why would they control banks why would they control all these things um, it's all united. Gentlemen, uh, lightning round, just quick, either thumbs up, yes or no, uh, just so we have it on the record. Is anybody on this show feeling suicidal at all? No. No. Okay, so nobody here is going to commit suicide anytime in the next 10 days, correct? That is correct. Okay. Ever, well, ever, not just not <laughs> ever. Right. So, so if you don't see or hear from us ever again, uh, th then you know why. People are asking, Ryan, why guys like Michael Knowles, for example, who attends the FSSP in Los Angeles, Latin Master, works for Benny Shapiro, why Knowles has been totally silent on Kanye and why Ben gets to go and thrash him. What kind of courage is that? Well... I, I don't want to comment on someone that uh, makes a decision that they don't want to say things that will get themselves fired the very next day, uh, especially from a decent paying gig in this economy. So, um, but at the same time, it's, you know, it, there's got to be a level of pushback. And if, if, you know, Ben Shapiro is really big on free speech, isn't he? Uh, you would think that you know you could have a kind of lightning run. You could have a discussion. Maybe he could invite Kanye or yay or whatever, uh, invite him on. They talk to him and, and and give him a you know a chance to defend you know his views there and, and you know Shapiro could then you know push back or whatever it seems to me when we say that certain things are unacceptable to talk about where you're giving them more power than than they otherwise would have and and I pointed this out a few weeks ago when it blew up over Chesterton because Chesterton was talking about the history of Jews in Europe. 
right? And at, at a time when, you know, it was, it was common to talk about the, this history in discussion. And of course, you didn't have the Holocaust, you didn't get beaten down with anti-Semitism whenever you talked about the issue. So he, Chesterton, you know, made certain statements, and that was all blowing up for whatever reason. And I just pointed out, look, the guy is not trying to be anti-Semitic. He's trying to talk about a, a historical problem, you know, with Jews in Europe. And if you guys are going to freak out like this every time, you're giving more power to the very thing you're, that you're trying to squash. I mean, try try to convince anyone that that was doubtful about Jewish control of Hollywood or political events or banks after this business that it's not real when they've shown it to be real. And then someone who's a Catholic, traditional Latin mass Catholic, is not allowed to criticize it without fear of losing his job because he works for an Orthodox Jew um, who's not willing to entertain. I mean, we saw a Jew simply say, yeah, we do. And it's great. You know, why can't Shapiro say, yeah, you know, that it's a, it's an odd thing all around where you're so scared of even suggesting that just maybe people uh, in a certain boat go in a certain direction. And it, it's like, if the evidence is there, let's talk about it. If we're not willing to talk about it, how committed are you to your to alleged, you know, free speech and all that? And, and that's kind of my, my challenge to the Daily Wire, both to Knowles and to uh, Shapiro. If you're not even willing to, to, to have a discussion about it, and if you're so sure it's false, and this is bad and defamatory of, of Jews in general, hey, have Kanye on and show why he's wrong on camera so everyone could see it. Well, and that goes back to the, the alleged marketplace of ideas, the alleged free speech that all of these conservatives tend to uh, you know, claim that they revere. But at the end of the day, a lot of conservatives, GOP boomers especially, have no regard for freedom of speech, and they get off on canceling people. They're rather vicious, to be honest. No, at the end of the day, gentlemen, here's what I contend. Nobody truly believes in freedom of speech. Nobody. Everybody believes in freedom of his own speech, but even conservatives, even so-called Catholics are viciously trying to cancel and, and suppress and silence anyone who disagrees with them, even somebody who is otherwise a pretty good Catholic, pretty good family man, somebody who would agree with them on 90% of the issues, but that 10%, James, has to be silenced. And I've seen this and I've lived it. Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. And it's it's quite insidious, you know. Uh, people often talk about, uh, you know, freedoms uh, in th what they would think are practical, practical terms, but they're really thinking about them more theoretical until it comes, the, the rubber hits the road, and all of a sudden, it's wait a second, you know, you can't do this, or wait a second, you can't do that. How dare you? Um, you should, you know, choose your words more carefully. And you're thinking, wait a second, you know, I'm I'm speaking uh, the truth here. And no one wants to listen. You know, truth is a very painful thing, especially when it's truth. You know, and uh, we in the 21st century, we're, we're really just very comfortable in our skin. A lot of uh, roads have been paved uh, for us to get into this position where we're so comfortable and we're unwilling to rise to any challenge. Anything that challenges us, we're quick to push down uh, because it's just uncomfortable. And I've spoken about this several times, maybe even within the last couple of weeks. You know, we just we want to be too comfortable. You know, uh, conservatives talk about gender bending issues. They think it's uh, it's a difficult issue to talk about. They talk about George Soros. You know, they think, oh, well, you know, uh, someone has to say it. Someone has to say the name George Soros. They even talk about black and black crime. Oh, somebody has to speak up about that. 
But there are other things they're not speaking up about. No one speaks about, you know, contraception, for instance. No one speaks about, you know, uh, the industry. They, they don't want to talk about the percentage, the uh, percentages of ownership of certain people within certain industries. You know, for them, that's just too much. You can't make that, uh, that you know, you, you can't draw that line. It's just too much. You can't do it. You know, and uh, people live out of fear rather than just saying, hey, this is true. Uh, if I lose friendship over it, I, I'm sorry, but so so be it. And lots of young men are being canceled because they're maybe even just asking questions. You know, how is asking questions tantamount to, uh, you know, hate speech? Speaking of living out of fear, guess who's back? Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that <laughs> is keeping me up at night. And I know this group really understands what I'm about to say. I know we're all focused on the 2022 midterm elections and they are incredibly important. But we also have to look ahead because you know what? Our opponents certainly are. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it the right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote, or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican controlled. But there's also good news in the face of this very real threat to democracy. Indivisible has launched Crush the Coup to make sure we're ready to defend democracy in 2024. They've put together a list of Democracy is under attack. She she continues on. I I that's a, I, I couldn't take two full minutes of Hillary. Um, sorry. <laughs> she continues on though, gentlemen. Ryan, she she talks about first of all, democracy is under attack. You know the 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 true the true religion of the United States, which is voting, doesn't care really. No one cares which who you vote for. Uh, so long as you participate, so long as you do, in fact, vote, that's the whole game. And um, now she's able to just blatantly say in the open that the Republicans are planning to steal the election because democracy is under attack. And every midterm election, every election that we're alive for, every politician that talks about the upcoming election is the most important election in your lifetime. And don't you forget it. Absolutely. Don't forget it. Democracy is endangered. We need you to vote. Democrat, vote, Democrat, vote. <clears throat> yes. It's, I don't even know where to begin on so much of this stuff. It's so odd. It's so frustrating. It's so obnoxious. But um, one, it, it's amazing. I, now you can talk about you know elections being stolen, right? As long as it's the right, never the left, because it's projection. Uh, right now, everything is in line to steal it in, in favor of the Democrats. And when that becomes expedient to the people who actually control things, it'll flip the other way. They'll, they'll steal it in favor of the Republicans or what have you. But I think the real red pill, I mean, what they're really doing is they're getting out of, in front of the fact that 
the numbers all show there's going to be a red wave. Yes. The, that, that all the, the, the polling, the, the dissatisfaction with Biden. Um, and if I don't think Biden can win against anyone except possibly Trump, just because the, the Trump hysteria is such that'll motivate, you know, the numbers in, in a true and fair election anyway. I don't think that my personal opinion is that the, that these elections are, are uh, we got to remember. Uh, Mama We're Susan. on YouTube, Ryan. We're on YouTube. I, I think it is in doubt uh, whether the integrity of these things will be as billed and there'll be a sudden shift where there won't be either as many or that'll just blatantly put more Democrats in. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. But my opinion is that every single one has been uh, fraudulent going back into the 19th century, demonstrably in the 19th century. There's elections that you can show were stolen. Um you know, John Quincy Adams stole the election from Andrew Jackson, for example. Uh, Martin Van Buren stole an election. And you go back, um, you know, there, there's so many times which, you know, that's been done. It's not hard to do, in my opinion. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised. But this is kind of a thing. You know, Hillary's stirring the pot. Um, nobody likes her, of course, on the right. And it's probably meant to get more people talking about the whole question of voter fraud. In order to now, you know, bring that to the fore and to try to control that narrative again, I think really we should just ignore her altogether. Well, certainly, and I think she's hedging, and I think that's the right answer, James. She's hedging because it looks like the Republicans are going to recapture the House of Representatives. It looks like Kevin McCarthy is going to become the Speaker of the House. It looks like Kevin McCarthy is one of those, you know, big government conservatives and one world government agenda 21 people. Right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Depending so the, on how things go with Fetterman and we'll talk about Fetterman. We have some funny clips of this guy. Uh, you know, the, the Republicans could capture the Senate as well, which has implications for all kinds of things, including Supreme court nominations and uh, other, other federal nominations, including to the, to the other federal benches. Uh, so, it is significant if the balance of power does shift in Washington, James, but it, it, it just seems like Hillary is trying to hedge against the wave that they all know is coming. Of course. I mean, this is a formula that worked for her uh, in 2022. Uh, sorry, in 2020. So she's going back to the same formula. We saw uh, literally a month before the election, uh, the election took place, maybe even three weeks, maybe even two. I don't quite remember. But it was right around the time, just before the elections. What did she do? She re she released a similar video. She says, "Well, you know, just so you know, results might not actually, you know, you might see something a few hours before, but give it time. Don't lose hope, you know, because counting election votes takes time. You you we're gonna need extra time to get all the votes counted in. So don't freak out when you see something. It might appear that the Republicans have won." But in the end, it'll actually be the Democrats. This is exactly what she said in, 20, in 2020. And, uh, you know, people didn't necessarily pay attention to that. They, they drew some attention to it, obviously. But, um, you know, they just sort of, uh, hey, you know, she's gaslighting. Of course she's gaslighting. But more than that, you know, um, it's, it's just uh, uh, for her, it's, it's, it's what's going to help her uh, do whatever she needs to do in the next few weeks. It's going to seal whatever she it is she's planning to do in the next few weeks, which is steal the election again. Brother Martin, uh, James, we're done. This stream is done. If it wasn't done after the after the yay portion, we are done. Brother Martin, um, 
when we get our second strike and we don't and we're not with you for two more weeks <laughs> we will be with you on twitter which is uh open and free and maybe other places but brother martin um as you look at what hillary is truly trying to to say she's she's forecasting that there is going to be a red wave do you expect that if slash when the republicans take over capitol hill that there's going to be a slowdown in deficit spending in useless wars that there's going to be a return to to traditional marriage uh, that 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 no fault divorce is going to get outlawed in this country that the illegal income tax will be absolved uh, uh, dissolved. Uh, do you think that any of those things are going to happen, or do we? Does it even matter? Sorry, I muted you digitally as well, brother. There we go. Sorry. Um, no, I mean it, it's kind of the the game of politics is to uh, to feed your uh, the people that would vote for you a certain idea, tell them that you're going to fulfill something in office. Once you get to office look like you were actually working towards that idea but not actually fulfill it because when you're up for re-election you need an idea to sell them again and so immediately if you go and solve everything um, what are you supposed to run on nothing so um I, and also it, it took a someone that was outside of the, the fold so to speak a, a donald trump to come in and actually appoint um justices that would uh or yeah uh, judges that would on the supreme court actually overturn roe versus wade that was I mean, he didn't he didn't appoint all of them, but it was a significant number that actually got things done. And so, I mean, I mean for 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 his for his sake, he, he did do some things that um, he said he was going to do the whole ISIS issue. Um, he took care of that. Um, that was that was something that was that was big when, whenever he was running was uh, taking care of ISIS uh, wars in the Middle East. Um, I think there will be a facade of, of certain things. Um, but no, I, I think we're, we're it, it, as we always say, I mean, conservatism is, is simply liberalism just, uh, five years in, five years behind. Um, today, the president seemed to be countering some of this GOP messaging on the economy. And he told people that Republicans like to call Democrats big spenders and people should look at the facts. But the facts don't seem to be exactly how he's painting it on some of these issues. Um, he has claimed repeatedly that the administration reduced the deficit. But if you break it down, spending was high because of the pandemic. Those programs expired, and that brought down the deficit. And then that deficit reduction was spent on canceling student loans. And then on um, the, the jobs claims that he made, he said that President Trump was the first since Hoover to lose jobs during his administration. But um, And he claimed that he had created 10 million new jobs. But in reality, those jobs have mostly been added back, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics says only about 514,000 jobs have been newly created. So how are people supposed to take this kind of messaging on their most important issue seriously when some of this feels like smoke and mirrors? Well, let me tell you what the American people should take very, very seriously. Let me remind you of the Trump tax cut of 2017, $2 trillion that was not paid for, not paid for. Uh, so want to be very clear about that. What does that even have to do with anything? That doesn't answer the question at all. When, ladies and gentlemen, Donald J. Trump locked down the United States of America. He locked down the economy. He decided who was essential and non-essential. And the bishops went along with it. Never forget that they did that. Very few of them, if any, have ever apologized. You have individual priests who have. I'm not aware of any prince of the church who has ever apologized for being wrong and illegally and illicitly locking down 
the Catholic Church and preventing you from having the sacraments. Notwithstanding that fact, just in terms of economics, the questioner is right. You eliminated a bunch of jobs because the government called them non-essential, and then you brought them back, and you're counting that as new jobs. Doesn't that seem like fake math, Ryan? Right. It's common core math. What? Um, <laughs> I mean, when you get down to it, all of these things are more possible. Whatever side it is, I mean, you expect I expect politicians to lie as as a rule. In fact, I mean, usually, you can you, how do you know a politician's lying? Well, the, their mouth is moving, right? Uh, that, that's how how bad it is. And so, whenever they're going to ask questions, I mean, if it was Trump's people, they were spinning stuff too in their time. Uh, I used to love when Trump got out there because that was just fun to watch because just because uh, uh, he was great in terms of commanding the room and mocking some of these people. And it was entertaining, even if I you know heard a lot of things like, oh, I'm not so sure about that one. And you can always manipulate the numbers, whether it's the, whether it's a conservative or, or a Democrat or liberal or whatever. Uh, you can always manipulate numbers to say what you want them to say because they're just numbers. You can, you know, apply metrics, change definitions. Um you know, at any time. So it, it, you see Biden out there saying these things that just they don't have any factual basis. But, you know, you're going to start to, you know, apply some numbers and well, understood that way. Well, yeah, I, I actually did this. I actually cut, the, you know, this deficit and added these jobs. And uh, it doesn't actually mean anything when you get down to it. And I think um, one of the things that makes it worse for the press secretary, uh, I, I can't say her name right she seems legitimately baffled by the science of spinning and manipulating things where I think I've said it before, Jen Psaki, even though she was uh, in the service of, of evil, on the other hand, she was darn good at her job because she, she could fight with, with journalists armed with a little, some facts that could challenge yeah. them and she could yeah. spin you around in all sorts of different directions. That's what a press secretary is supposed to do. Um, she see this gal again, uh, KJ, KJ, I forget what they're even a KJP. She seems legit baffled by the question, and then again by by the numbers and what she you know what's in her binder. So I, I, I you she's know, even, again, in other words, she's not even smart enough to lie. No. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, let me finish that thought. It's interesting. Maybe she maybe she uh, got into Harvard through some. Uh, you know, we're not going to say the word, but you know, she did go to Harvard, and it begs the question: She went to Harvard. She did. How did she get? How did she get into Harvard? Wow, yeah. wow! Questions that have no answers, at least on this podcast. But this is the man that she's lying for, or at least too stupid to lie for. The vice president of the United States, yeah. Vice President Harris. How's she doing? You're almost two years in. How's she doing? She's doing great. She is a. Uh, first of all, she's smart as hell. She has, she has a backbone like a ramrod, and she has enormous integrity, and. Uh, but if you take a look out there, there isn't any public figure that is, you know, 60% favorable ratings. I mean, now, most of the, and, but she is doing a great job and she is, and she is really, really thoroughly informed and, and particularly on areas of foreign policy and national security issues. And so I find her to be extremely, extremely uh, well-qualified and a great asset. We have lunch once a week, and, and she is in, she, there's nothing 
that she is cut off from. I think she's a few letters short of an asset. She does not have a 60% favorable rating. Uh, and this is one of the least uh, favor uh, least approved presidents in modern times, Joe Biden speaking. And I, I believe that her, her approval rating is actually less than his. Um, she's, she's fantastically hateable, brother Martin. She's despisable. She's a wicked woman. Her name is actually the name of a demon. So I don't like saying her name. Uh, I don't want to invoke anything. Uh, I, I mean, all of this, it's lie after lie after lie with these people. She's, she's not going to be the president of the United States, uh, in any orderly way. Uh, there might be, uh, there might be a disorderly way, an inorganic way for her to, uh, to achieve the white house, but it won't be through the will of the people, uh, via, you know, 81 million votes for someone in a basement. Absolutely. And I think this is one of the reasons why they fear uh, a free social media, so to speak, a, a free Twitter, a free parlor, a free uh, true social, all that kind of stuff is because uh, for uh, much of modern times, the media has been able to take facts and spin them so that you draw the, draw the conclusion that they want you to draw. Uh, most of them try to behave themselves and not appear to be that. They try to make you think that you're drawing your own conclusion. Uh, by giving you facts but of course you know they they say the headline a certain way and re report a certain way leaving out certain informations making uh, insinuations all that kind of stuff to to um, dress the facts up so that you see something that isn't fully there to not give you the big picture or to give you a perspective that they want you to have um which is again why why the media in particular and, and uh, it's so important for the Demo democrats to control the media is because when 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 the media becomes free when 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 on, on platforms, people are able to share and to say, to give facts without dressing them up or to give people different perspectives of the situation. Uh, they can't control it. It's out of their control. Um, there's one uh, there's one particular news organization that, in one sense, they're not hiding the fact that they're, they're, uh, they want you to conclude what they want you to do. In fact, when you don't conclude, this, uh, if you don't draw the same conclusion that they themselves draw from a certain situation, they call you a Nazi. They call you a pedo enabler or anything else. You know, and the name under the sun, because uh, they're not there simply to just present the facts. They're not there to, to simply report the news, but to but to make you think uh, what they want you to think. And they're pretty open about that. So, I mean, good for them that they're open that, you know, it's not enough for them just to report the facts, but they want you to think the same way they do. And if you don't think the, uh, the way they do, then you're you're an enemy to the Catholic faith or whatever else. You know, so that's pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, just they, the they facts, do. man, just the facts. <laughs> Look at that Biden trot. He's so agile, Ryan. He knew exactly where he was going. He wasn't wandering off on the incorrect side of the stage and Kamala was grabbing his jacket, trying to prevent him from tipping over into the into a crowd surfing situation. No, that wasn't happening. Oh, no. no, not at all. Uh, actually, for a second, it looked like she was getting ready to give him a nice big foot. <laughs> <laughs> but that fall wouldn't have killed him. So she's going to save no. that one. It, um, but it's, it's, uh, you know, when I think of her, uh, what comes to mind is something one day I went, you know, to pump gas and I looked up in the wild 
and uh, this is what I saw. <laughs> this is and, a serious newscast, right? I can't believe we're I know. reviewing this. But, uh, but I, and, I, and I started seeing those around, and I just the, the phenomenon where you know people created that, and that that kind of resonated. Where wh what do we what do we say about her? Instead of putting her in with the I help, they put Pelosi there, and instead she's just kind of in, eh, I, I, I'm kind of lousy. She's just there. She's just there. Speaking, she's just there. She can't speak coherent any more coherently than Biden can. And nobody likes her. Nobody's ever liked her, really. In, in the end, they just said, well, we got to get some diversity and inclusion in here. Really, that's ultimately what it was. I think and the mayor of San Francisco. Her grandparents actually owned slaves, and mine did not, uh, nor my great-grandparents, nor my great-grandparents, actually. Um, but still, uh, you know, they will overlook that detail and just, uh, just put her up there. And I think they thought that she would come up in a certain way to be a star player and that she'd be more popular and she hasn't been. And I, and they purposely sidelined her. Ryan, I think you're being a little bit unfair to the uh, so-called vice president of the United States of America. There's at least one person who kind of liked her at one point and it was the mayor of San Francisco. Yes. Now we, we all have to make sure that everyone that works is able to, that's, that's the most American bargain that if you work full time, you should be able to live in dignity as well. True. And I believe they haven't have any businesses being, being, uh, you can't have businesses being subsidized by not paying ind uh, individuals that just simply can't have to, to pay their own way. As Lieutenant Governor, you're running for a seat that could decide the balance of power in Washington. What qualifies you to be a U.S. Senator? You have 60 seconds. Hi, good night, everybody. I'm running to serve Pennsylvania. He's running to use Pennsylvania. Oz. I've been trying to talk about policy issues with the people of Pennsylvania. As a doctor, I listen to their ideas and I want to talk about them. When John Fetterman brings up houses, the irony is he didn't pay for his own house. He got it for a dollar from his sister. And he hasn't been able to, to earn a living on his own. He's lived off his parents. So it, it doesn't, it's not a topic that we should be debating on the stage. We should be talking about crime and inflation, the issues that are hurting Pennsylvanians that they're talking about at their kitchen table. Uh, it, it, uh, that's right. He, uh, he got his... Pennsylvania right, House Mr. Fetterman, from his own inlays from a, a dollar. Mr. That's Fetterman, typical. we have to. I, I don't know what he said there, but he, it, I think he and, and f fake Catholic usurper Chief Joe Biden speak the same language. Uh, and that's why that's precisely why Joe Biden has endorsed him, James. Uh, in my opinion, someone who is, is it's abusive. It's abusive to push someone into public office who is unfit to serve cognitively. And yet uh, we have one person who perhaps fits that description endorsing and throwing his weight behind another person uh, who has a lot more weight, um, physically speaking, uh, who, who, who potentially does suffer from a cognitive disability, which in any sane world would preclude him from office. But this is this is the participation trophy America that we live in. And you're still muted digitally, James. Okay, I I caught a good half of what you said there, but if the question was, uh, you know, uh, what's what's up with uh, Fetterman and uh, the yes. the president uh, Biden uh, being so cognitively, you know, deformed, um, 
that they in any other world would not be accepted as viable leaders. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, I, I cannot believe it's even a question for Pennsylvania voters, you know, whether they have to vote for Fetterman. The answer is absolutely no. If we if if you had a question about voting for Joe Biden and you went ahead and voted for Joe Biden, uh, it's obviously evident, you know, two years in that he is not the person running the country. He's not in control. You know, if uh, Trump or other he, he's, he's, his other predecessors were maybe a fraction in control of uh, the office, you know, uh, Biden is maybe 0.5 percent in control of the office. You know, being that he's put out there, uh, you know, in front of the cameras to sort of uh, wave at people and walk around aimlessly, that's got to count for something, right? You know, so the impression he he's actually in charge, you know, but he doesn't do anything of substance besides, you know, uh, kiss people uh, behind your ears or behind their heads and sniff them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what's he doing in public that we can all be, be uh, proud of and point uh, is his accomplishments practically nothing? Fetterman he sure gets that been, ice cream down, though. Yeah, exactly. Fetterman has been controlled by his wife ever since he started running, and it's evident that she's being uh, basically. Uh, you know, I'm not saying she's being primed to run for office. Maybe after he retires, if he wins, you know, who knows what uh, you know the Democrats are cooking up in Pennsylvania. He might win, right? If uh, they do things the right way. Uh, and then after one term, his wife might pick up after him. Who knows? I have no idea. But this is not something <laughs> that uh, is is anything other than a train wreck. It's, it's exactly yeah. what it is. And it tells us how fake and how false our system uh, is. Hillary talks about, you know, uh, the uh, what was her phrase in the ar archaic uh, electoral votes. But this is basically third world banana republic uh, going on right here in front of us. And they're proud of it. You know, speaking of fake, phony and fraudulent, we haven't really talked about Ukraine lately. Сегодня утром по предложению Министерства обороны и по плану Генерального штаба России нанесен массированный удар высокоточным оружием большой дальности воздушного морского и наземного базирования по объектам энергетики, военного управления и связи Украины. В случае продолжения попыток проведения на нашей территории терактов ответы со стороны России будут жесткими и по своим масштабам будут соответствовать уровню угроз, создаваемых Российской Федерацией. Ни у кого не должно быть никаких в этом сомнений. This is Vladimir Putin saying on October 10th that if anybody should uh, attack inside the uh, the, the physical geography of the Russian Federation, that he, they would be met with proportionate force. This is your United States government uh, admitting that they are preparing to do just that one week later. At a forward operating site, we watched as U.S. soldiers and Romanian troops pounded targets in a joint ground and air assault. The tank rounds and artillery fire are real. So is the enemy, meant to recreate the fight against Russian forces in Ukraine. A message to Russia and NATO allies alike, we're here. The real meaning 
for me to have the American troops here is like if you were to have allies in Normandy before any enemy was there. In all, roughly 4,700 soldiers of the 101st Screaming Eagles from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, have been deployed to reinforce NATO's eastern flank. You've had an opportunity to, to watch, observe, and possibly study the Russians. What do you think of them so far? So we're, uh, we're closely watching them. So we're building uh, objectives to, to practice against that replicate exactly what's going on in Ukraine. We're the closest American unit to the fighting in Ukraine. And what does that feel like? What does that mean? It, uh, it keeps, us on, uh, keeps us on our toes, right? So it makes my Ready to fight tonight is a message that we've heard repeatedly. It's not just about defending NATO territory, but if the fight escalates and NATO partners are under threat, they're fully prepared to cross over into Ukrainian territory if ordered to do so. Back to you in the studio. Boy, Charlie Daggett, of course, in Romania. Okay, so we have United States-led uh, forces, NATO forces on the border, on the Russian border, preparing to carry out combat operations inside the Russian border. Meanwhile, everybody considers when Putin says, don't cross my border or I will use whatever weapons I need to use as some escalation, brother. I mean... To me, this is very clear what we're witnessing. Uh, to me, uh, you know, in, in the most unlikely and diabolically disoriented way, you have a communist dictator making more sense than the West. And that's it. We also have to look at, uh, I mean, we've, we've said this countless times, uh, who, who Putin himself is partnering with, um, with China. And, uh, I mean, re recently, uh, Russia acknowledge that Taiwan is a part of China. And of course, uh, the United States is, is fighting for Taiwan's freedom. Why I think Taiwan is now hosting their second pride parade. Uh, after a couple years absence or something like that. Um, it's it's weird. There, there is no 100% good guy like what uh, like a Superman or a Batman or whatever Marvel comic uh, guy you want to cheer for It's it's all it's uh, confusing and it just is discombobulating. Um, everyone's trying to fight for some buff, buffer territory, but then they all want to own and control the buffer territory. Um, Putin obviously wants certain certain uh, morals not to drift from the West into the East, into his country. But as we pointed out early on, I mean, Putin and, and Patriarch Hero work for the KGB to instill those very uh, more practices into the West. The West is, in one sense, Russian created. Uh, the communist regime created what, what we are fighting here on our, our territory. And so what you and I are having to go out and fight against a society, the drag queen story hours, um, the communist uh, economics. They gave it to us. We, we've already been insulted. They've already dropped that nuclear bomb, so to speak, already in the West, and, and we're still breathing in the fumes and, and having to do that. And so now they're trying to stand up against the very things that they <laughs> instilled in the West. It's it's kind of, uh, well, in one sense, he's getting a taste of his own medicine. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult to comprehend. <laughs> Hey guys. <laughs> looks like uh, <laughs> it looks like it's just you and me, brother. Or at least right now, it's just me. I'm not sure where the other gentleman went, but we are still live and on the show. They're so, here. They're here. here. Oh, okay. Yes, they're here. But my mic was muted. I I violated the one 
uh, rule that I hold all of you to, which is to be aware of unmuting your your mic before you speak. So I, I yeah, apologize. I, you know, I didn't blink an eye. I was just ready to, to take over and run the I show. I know you were ready. You you jumped into the breach just like Admiral Rachel Levine is ready to do in the How face of Russian dare aggression. you? We <laughs> thought the government already came and snuck into your guys' houses and already took care of this before the show was over. Right. <laughs> Should I call her Dick? I don't know. That's her name. Her yeah. name is Richard. He had a bar mitzvah. Anyway, uh, James, that's neither here nor there. Admiral Levine, ma'am, sir, whatever the hell your name is. Uh, is she going to defend us from the Russians when, uh, you know, when we cross the line? You know, as long as she's wearing six inch heels, we can penetrate into somebody's brain when you throw it directly into a person's uh, eye socket. Then I think we're good. No, no, yeah, she is not. She, I say she, yeah, no, he's not able to basically do anything of substance besides sort of, you know, it just might actually work. You know, you put you put Rachel uh, uh, Levin or Levine, however you say it, in front of some Russians, and they might just run away and not come back. I don't know. That that uh, mentally impaired human being might actually scare them off i think that's yeah, a good strategy that's, that's my point send in send in all the trannies ryan uh, that will that will scare the right <laughs> they'll be like you know what we don't we want no part of this you guys <laughs> you guys can do your thing uh hey speak, <laughs> speaking of trannies, hold yourself together can we go my... to canada for a second Okay, so this is a uh, uh, Canadian province, Ryan, who is apologizing for the illegal lockdown, saying it was all political. It had nothing to do with the quote-unquote science. And she's saying that she wants to reverse all of that, which sounds good. Um, is is the new world order crumbling? Are we making gains here? Should we uh, should we be celebrating? I mean, look, it's it's good. I don't want to be like Debbie Downer mm -hmm. every single week on the rundown. It's kind of based. I like what she said. I don't know who she is. I hope we can trust her. Sounds mm -hmm. like it's uh, reversing, at least in, uh, I, I'm not sure which territory, I think Alberta, uh, but I'm not sure. It's, it's hard to say. Um, I guess we should look at it this way. It is a good, and we should, you know, at least take, you know, take what little victories we can get. Uh, is it going to change everything? No. Is it going to change how they act during the next uh, unspecified virus of unspecified origin and the rollout of the, uh, you know, the next jabs that will be financially benefiting, fedding, you know, trillion dollar corporations? No, probably not. Uh, or they might resist a little bit, but not not all that much or that, you know, who knows what will end up happening with that. But 
but that doesn't mean we can't look to it and say, well, at least here's something that's good. And I think if, because that's the first reaction most people have, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's not going to do anything. And it may not, but that doesn't mean it's good. I mean, it's just like, we're, um, you know, Elon taking over Twitter. Good things are going to come from that, but, you know, it's not going to change the paradigm such that all of a sudden it's going to change the world and all of a sudden it's all going to be getting better and rosy and bring down everything. No, it's not at all. So I think, you know, it's the same thing here. We just have, you have to, you can always take in your unmitigated good news. That is, you mm -hmm. can say, all right, well, hey, that that's not too bad. Um, you know, and we can hope more of it. And I think if people push more for that sort of thing, that could make the difference. See, and that's the thing is that it, it, it's people, it's, it's the populations of the world that can make the difference. When we say no, when we turn yeah. away, and say, no, we're not going to use the technologies building up your beast system. We're not going to use this or that currency. Because, I mean, they can shut it off for a small segment that's saying, nah, we're not going to use your CBDC currency. Currency. We're not going to take your uh, jabs for unspecified virus, uh, you know, T down the road. But on the other hand, uh, you know, they, they could shut that down overnight. But if mm -hmm. everybody says no, they can't stop that. And that's why I think, you know, if, if you could take that and show that to people and say, hey, yeah, see, we can do this. And more and more people say no. I think that's the thing that, that can yeah. ultimately you know, affect real change. I think I think you're right. And uh, this woman sounds like she has a Canadian accent to me anyway. Uh, language warning. She does say the S word. Uh, but she basically says the same thing and is pretty eloquent. Hey, celebrity prostitutes, bribed politicians controlled media whores, thug law enforcers on a power trip, and indoctrinated allopathic drug pushers. We don't want your shitty, dangerous, killer, fertility-damaging, experimental quaxines. We don't want your discriminatory, segregational passport system, nor your Stepford wife social credit system. We don't join cults. We aren't germaphobes. We know how to read statistics. We know how to think for ourselves. And we know what narcissistic abuse looks like. We don't want to be China. You don't govern us. We know the law. And we claim our birth rights. Frankly, we're moving on without you. The trance-like hypnotic suggestions and brainwashing just didn't take with us. We aren't of a fluoride stare, TV level, adolescent mind who falls prey to drama and peer pressure. So you can prance around with your drolling, repetitive, embarrassing, and flailing advertising campaign all you like. But to us, it reeks of desperation, shows us what pathological liars you are, and only highlights those sellouts who have sold their souls to the agenda. I think the fluoride stare was my favorite. Well, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> but she's right. If everybody just didn't go along with it, then they wouldn't have any power. We're, we're almost to the point now, though, James, where it doesn't really matter if people go along with it or not because all the power has been accrued. They control the financial system. They control the technology and the data and the and the farming and look apparently we're running out of diesel any minute which means trucks will stop moving which means no amazon prime that's when things will really get hairy 
Yeah, people don't seem to really have understood what happened within uh, that year and a half when there was a uh, an apparent shutdown. Is the government was seizing all kinds of power of production. You know, it was telling people what to do, what not to do, when to go into office, when not to go into office. You know, uh, please report on your friends where they are, their whereabouts, and everything. Please drive on these roads and on these roads. Please go here, not there. You know, people don't seem to have understood exactly what was happening. Um, and so they're they're heralding this freedom back that was stolen from them, which should never have been the case. And they're wanting to go about life as though nothing changed. And the government is telling us now, hey, guys, that's impossible. We have all this data. and We want to use it, you know. But my question for uh, this, this Canadian uh, uh, head, I don't, I don't know what, what province uh, she was head of, but, uh, you know, she's calling it out as a political stunt of, of, of uh, sorts, right? And that's that's absolutely correct. But somebody like Christy Nome, for instance, who was being touted as the governor of, uh, you know, the free state of South Dakota, for instance, um, yes, you know, some measures she enacted were good. But for the most part, she would not intervene or interject when local companies were forcibly firing people, employees from their jobs for not taking the job, you know? And she said, these companies have their rights. And so, uh, you know, she just said, this is a non-issue. You know, I'm protecting freedom here. And so if a company wants to fire you for a political stunt, you know, uh, that's, that's their, you know, uh, that's what they're going to do. Yeah, and I, I just wonder. It's part of the American yeah. system, though, where corporations yeah. have rights and personhood, and this is this is really one of the most insidious things that has ever happened. It happened in the 1800s. It's a novelty in human history. Yeah, the assigning of personhood and therefore rights to, uh, to non-beings. The assign the assignment of being to a non-being, and not only that, but the being is alleged to be in perpetuity. That's exactly right, you know. And uh, as long as somebody else is running that, you know, company, you know, that company has has life in it, and that life goes on forever. This is it's it's absurd, but we've accepted it, right? You know, we've ex accepted it as conservatives. This is something that we go. I mean, Mitt Romney made this uh, this claim uh, in two thousand and twelve, you know, and we we said he's right. We, yeah. we, we accepted it. Uh, nothing to see here with the World Economic Forum. We're developing through technology an ability for consumers to measure their own carbon footprint. What does that mean? That's where are they traveling? How are they traveling? What are they eating? What are they consuming on the platform? So individual carbon footprint tracker. Hmm. Stay tuned. We don't have it operational yet, but this is something that we're working on. Stay tuned. The individual carbon footprint tracker is is coming soon to a uh, di soft dictatorship near you, but it will be disguised in moral language. Uh, in other words, if you disagree with it, you must hate Mother Earth, which is your actual true religion uh, in the anti-religion, in the anti-religion of scientism, to which all the American bishops subscribed to uh, one degree or another when they locked us down to keep our bodies safe rather than <laughs> our soul. Right. Um, can we talk about modern relationships for a second? 
Can we just talk about like the dating scene? I know a lot of rundown people are uh, single and maybe uh, some rundown people have been through some emotional pain. Okay, that got dark, but actually there's some truth to that last part. Let's talk about dating preferences. This video was so good, you must watch it, and I want to branch off and talk about how it relates to fat phobia and dating. A lot of times when people are asked, why don't you date fat people, trans people, people of color, whatever, they will say, it's just a preference, I'm just not attracted to them, I can't make myself be attracted to someone I'm just not attracted to. The implication here being that preferences are innate, unchanging, and completely independent of any outside factors or societal norms. And therefore, that they are inherently unproblematic. Like, it's not fat phobia, it's just who I am. I can't help it. But I think it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Our desires are not immune to social conditioning. Although, of course, you can't change your sexual orientation, when we see a certain type of body glorified, praised, and labeled as desirable in media from the time that we can even process those messages, it's not going to not have an impact on us. And the fact is, at least anecdotally, lots of fat people report being desired by many people. But the piece that isn't there is the social acceptance. And again, that's also true for other marginalized identities. Maybe you are sexually attracted to fat people, but you can't see yourself in a romantic relationship with one because you've never seen that replicated in media. Or maybe you love a fat person, but you're too afraid of what your friends and family would say if you introduced them. Or you're too afraid of what it would say about you to be with someone who is lower on the desirability totem pole. I've noticed that the people who uh, are trying to normalize fatness are never thin and healthy looking. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, remember how Ronald Reagan noticed uh, that uh, all the people who uh, are pro-abortion happen to already be alive? <laughs> Can't so, help but notice that. <laughs> so what is it now? LGBTQSJF for fat? Like <laughs> for fat. You gotta add that. Wait, did you say SJF? PHAT. <laughs> I mean, look, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a brave new world out there. I feel badly, honestly, for if you're watching this podcast right now or listening to it and you are 23 years old, and you are trying to find a traditional woman to marry, I feel badly for you. 
for you because the fact of the matter is, Ryan, that feminism runs deep in our culture, it runs deep in our country, in our nation, in our parishes, and in the traditional movement. There are feminist women who want you to uh, just accept certain things that are unacceptable. If uh, I recently came up with a brush where there's a very poss real possibility that I would be a widow, thank be to God that I'm not, and, and I still have an amazing wife, and it, I, I don't know what I would do. It, I, if, you know, I would just uh, be a celibate as a monk, I guess. I'd be single because the rest of my life, because I, I could not find anyone as good as my wife. I could not find anyone um, as just, just as amazing as my wife is in, in so many ways. And apart from the fact that we've got 18 years together, you know, building, you know, a life together and, and that kind of investment you just don't find. But even beside that question, um, you know, it's like, as I've looked around, I'm, I'm not really within my age group um, you're a little below, a little above. There's, there's just nothing that I'm not seeing it. And I'm not seeing an abundance of uh, you know, women who would make good wives. And I don't mean your stupid trad wife stuff. You know, and, and let's get back to this gal and her little fat rant, spell it PHT or, or just with an F, I don't know, um, PHAT or, or just FAT. Basically, we're talking about all, all these, you're trying to normalize there's something wrong with you because you won't recognize that, you know, you won't take me as I am. You won't take me without making me make changes, right? You have to affirm who and what I am. That's now, right. I mean, th th there is a spectrum, of course, where th there is this real sense where they try to glorify these twigs that walk out that would slip through a crack uh, in the floor if it happened to walk over one. And, and there is something to be said for how traditional culture traditionally viewed women. I mean, you just look at European art and they're not that skinny. They're also not fat. You know, there is like a middle ground, which men used to think brought you to goddess level. And, uh, you know, which is generally where I run in that, that gambit. And God's wondering, <laughs> my wife's amazing on all, all those fronts. So it, it, as well as just, you know, emotionally and personally is, is wonderful and that that is the primary thing but your spouse has to be attractive to you too there, there's two ends of the equation your body soul unity and the way you are going to you know inter especially as a man the way you're going to interpret and uh i'm just uh, i didn't have a chance to formulate this ahead of time obviously but the way you're going to appreciate a woman is going to be through the senses that doesn't mean she's going to be you know like some you know model level frankly she'll be better because the model is just covered in makeup right it, we're stuck on these superficial things and you want the defects to be affirmed just like we're seeing in everything else in the in the whole question of the alphabet stuff in the whole question of uh where everything's moving even in, like in psychiatric care where now they're trying to tell psychiatrists that you have to affirm the the patient you can't tell them it's an illness anymore you just got to help them feel good about what's wrong with them which you can't do. You have to treat the illness, right? And and we're talking about the type of fat that they're trying to make normal. We're not talking about shapely women. We're not talking about women that, um, you know, they're not like the skinny model on TV, but they're still absolutely gorgeous. We're not talking about them. We're talking about women who are truly corpulent, which is not healthy. It is not good for them. If we really hated them, we, we'd say, yeah, you're great. Get even fatter. It'll, it'll be okay. <laughs> that's not what you do for somebody if you really want to help them. And, and that's what this trend is, is affirm me 
but in notice that very dark little relationship thing that you did earlier where it's like again affirm me yeah don't, it, i don't care about you i want to be affirmed in all these incidental things but notice how she had to lump in all of these other alleged uh, uh, marginalized groups, too. It's like, well, yes. you have a problem if you're not willing to date a tranny. You have a problem. Is the problem is with you. And, and she's yeah. trying to lump that in. By the way, I need to apologize specifically for that. That, the, that, that video went pretty dark. And I don't think any of us closely reviewed it before running it. Uh, it's not rundown material. It's not rundown approved. So uh, for those who have endured it and watched it, um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh but but not notwithstanding, there is a grain of truth in it, Brother Martin. When you when you when you are in the dating game and you are trying to find a spouse and you find a, a you know someone who is materialistic and is pushing you in in all these directions, not supporting you, um, and then you know uses that as a reason. What I ultimately want us to talk about is no fault divorce, which is uh, which happens in this country a lot. Uh, women just run off, they run away, they find someone that they are um, more fond of online. They might become his stalker. They might illegally be obtain his phone number, for example. They might chase him across the country, uh, you know, multiple states, you know, like from, from the lower Midwest to the upper Midwest, let's say, uh, to try to become that person's, you know, work wife uh, once they find out that he's actually gay. But, you know, when that happens, it's like, what about the children? What about everybody else? It's it's true. Um, there, there's there's definitely several factors that, that go into all of that. First of all, and it has to do with one's relationship with, well, I, I guess yeah, with with Almighty God first, um, even before marriage. Of what are you getting married for? Are you getting married because it's something that will please our Lord to help uh, iron some of your imperfections out, as as Scripture says, iron as. Uh, Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Um, are you using marriage to to become a saint? Are you using marriage because well you don't have a vocation to the consecrated life, and so you you choose a state in life in which you intend to sacrifice and give up your entire self for your spouse and for your children, or are you choosing marriage precisely because uh, it's not religious life in the sense that you don't have a direct superior over you to, to to tell you what to do and what not to do, to tell you what job to do, what job you're not going to do. Um, you choose marriage because. Uh, you could be in control of your life because you you only feel like you can achieve happiness in this life if you are in control because you know what your happiness you want to remain in control. Uh, are you choosing marriage because uh, you can get a job and have as much money you want to avoid religious life and the vow of poverty? It, it, it all comes down to why you're choosing what you're choosing, not necessarily what you're choosing, but why you're choosing what you're choosing. Because there is a legitimate reason to choose marriage. If you don't have a vocation, this is the state of life that God intends to, to make you a saint. But if you have a religious vocation, obviously religious life is that. Uh, how, how God wants to make you a saint. Um, but I think there, there are several people who, who choose marriage precisely for materialistic reasons um, mm -hmm. to remain in control of the life. But then they go, they use religion, they use Catholicism to say, oh no, you can become a saint uh, married anyway. So I'm just going to choose one where I get to have everything I want plus become a saint. It doesn't exactly work that way. Um, but I think that's, that's exactly where it starts because they don't, they don't have that uh, uh, relationship with the Lord. So they don't, they don't get married because they love him first and foremost, they get married because they love themselves first and foremost. Um, and, and, and just aren't as honest with themselves about it. And so you get into the whole materialism of, of, of trying to, to, uh, to have a husband who's rich, good looking, all this, like, gives you lots of attention, all the attention that you want. It, it, it becomes very selfish already as, as, um, I guess it kind of said in, in, in that video that this woman, I mean, it, it gave the impression that she was barking at him constantly, you know, fix this, fix that, all this kind of stuff, nagging. 
um, which made him somewhat depressed, trying to always meet, meet her demands. Um, for some reason, she, you know, as, as I said, those who want always want more. You can never satisfy those who are in want because they're, they're always constantly wanting more. So to have that kind of person and be married to that person who's always constantly wanting, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an endless, endless tunnel. Um, and so she looked like she had a hole that she needed to fill. She went to uh, on social media, that accounts got all this attention from men who were constantly supporting her. They're like, oh, look, I'm getting support from these guys. I'm not getting support from my husband, all this other kind of stuff. And so they, they, uh, they go and search, and search for, what, for their need, this interior need um, that they would have already had fulfilled if, had, if they had been married for the right reasons in the first place. And marriage so this, is, this mar marriage is an indissoluble relationship. What God has brought together, man cannot undo it, 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 it that that's just that's just the catholic point of view james is marriage a vocation this this came up on twitter recently it was a whole thing is the married life actually a vocation wow mike you and i are gonna have to have talks after this <laughs> i know i'm putting you on the spot i'm yeah. I, i'm I, you can tee up everyone else will come in and buttress whatever you say or or Um, well, married life is, uh, well, matrimony is a sacrament and, uh, you know, it's one of the seven sacraments. And of course mm -hmm. it's, uh, very important in the life of, uh, those who choose to live that sacrament, of course, uh, because it, it helps us to get closer. Can you hear me? Oh yeah. We got you. I, I hear something in the background. Is somebody flying? Right. Yeah, it's probably the, the freeway that's next to this office, and somebody's very, very loud. Anyway, continue. I'm muting. Yeah. James, James is filibustering. What do you think we input. need to do? Oh, oh we need a revolution. Yeah. And we need it no. now. No. Not later. Now. Well, uh, in that in that sense, you know, a, a, a vocation is a, a calling one receives in, in order to in my opinion, to serve God. Uh, and, um, you know, we don't take holy orders for that purpose. I mean, we, we take uh, vows in uh, a matrimony f for various reasons. Um, and one of, one of those reasons is uh, uh, to basically uh, help each other to get to, to heaven and the conditions you know, that we lay before each other, you know, in sick, sickness and in health uh, and a few other things, uh, you know, I'm not trying to. Remember. Is Mrs. James watching? Is that is that what's happening right now? Is that no. the dynamic? No, <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just uh, she might be watching uh, later on. <laughs> <laughs> this, this came up on Twitter. Uh, yeah, it, always, it always comes up on Twitter. You know, I know Twitter uh, it always thing. does. It's the devil's yeah. playground. Brother Martin. What are your thoughts on this? And then, and then we 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 do have to like get to the end of the show, but um, marriage is a sac and we have to debate ha uh, Halloween as well. Oh yes, Halloween. Well, vocation. To be honest, even as someone with a vocation, the vocation always it, the word itself itself very much confused me, especially when in my early days of discernment, uh, because usually a vocational talk will start off with some priest saying, you know, vocation comes from the Latin word vocare, which means to call. And so it, it put a, an unrealistic image in my own mind about what a vocation is. Like, what, is God going to dial my number and call me? Or is he going to yell out, 
Martin, come here. You know, something like that. Like it, it gives a very unrealistic uh, idea of, of what exactly you're, you're trying to listen to. Um, to be honest, a vocation is simply an, is, is an, interior aware, an interior awareness of how much God loves you. That's it. And when you're loved by someone, you have to respond. And so you could either be the jerk that says, no, forget you, go away. Or you can respond to that love in, in a measure that is adequate to the love in which you've received. And so when you become aware that our Lord died on the cross for your sins and knowing full well that before you were created, he knew every single sin that you would, you would commit and believed that you were worth creating anyway, you have to respond to that crazy, ridiculous, mad love in a crazy, ridiculous, mad way. And you search for a crazy, ridiculous, mad way to do it. And it looks like poverty, chastity, and obedience. Just giving your whole life, absolutely everything. So the call, it was really a kind of funny word. And so what is it? It's a state in life. What is marriage? It's a state in life. Um, marriage is a natural way, it's in which case every even consecrated person has, an, has a natural desire for marriage. It's, it's beautiful. As St. John Chrysostom um, constantly said, if you, if, if you denigrate marriage, if you diminish it, you diminish also, also celibacy. You diminish the consecrated life. Because if marriage is something bad or mundane or just lame, then that doesn't make renouncing it any special whatsoever. But if marriage is something incredibly beautiful, that makes renouncing it for the kingdom of God something uh, quasi-heroic. Um, and so when you diminish marriage, you diminish the consecrated life. If you raise uh, celebrate marriage as, as it's supposed to be, as a sacrament, as, as, a, as uh, a means of grace, an image of, of Christ's love for his church and the church's love for Christ, then, then renouncing it for the sake of the kingdom of heaven for an eschatological purpose um, is, is something uh, worthy. It's something, as St. Paul says, better. And so they're both states in life that, that get us to heaven. Um, but there is something interiorly that's different about when, when one re uh, realizes that they're called to the consecrated life. And that's being having an interior awareness uh, that God loves you to a crazy extent. And you're, you're constantly restless until you, you're able to respond in an adequate way. Ryan, you're unmuted. You're ready. You're, you're ready. jumping in on this. Is marriage a vocation? Uh, in, in the strict sense, marriage is not a vocation. <clears throat> that is because a vocation, properly speaking, is the vocation to, to priestly and religious life. It's history of the term, the vocatio, is addressed more in terms of an antiquity when they, they would call the roles and <clears throat> they, they'd have the calling out of those who are of the ordinance who are about to be ordained. And in another sense, another, you know, it's understanding you're being called out of the world and to the religious life. So in, in those two senses, it, you know, towards that ministry, towards that, there's got to be a calling. That's the basis for taking up ministry in the church and for being a part of, um, you know, the priestly or religious life in the church. But then you can say in a broad sense marriage is a vocation in, in the same way in which the entirety of the human race has a vocation to know, love, and serve God and, and be happy with him forever. The entire human race has a vocation to, um, you know, honor God's right and, and follow the duties toward him. So, and in that very broad sense, you could call marriage a vocation in that way too, in terms of that there's, there's a calling to propagate life and engage in the states or the, the remedy of concupiscence but it's not you know it's not understood in the same sense at all um as uh, you know as when you say you know somebody has a vocation 
that means there is a calling and in the, the sense the Council of Trent teaches when they anathematize anyone who says that you can have you know religious life without an, an actual calling right it was a mockery the Protestants had given on the church is that you have to have this sense where God is calling you to serve in ministry and that's that notion of it so that's why um even though I'm married I don't have a vocation and in fact and a lot of times when you say that people like well, well marriage is good non sequitur. The, the two have nothing to do. Those two propositions, marriage is good and marriage is vocation, have nothing to do with each other. The goodness of marriage is not because God has explicitly called you to marry uh, this woman over here. It is good because Christ made it good in, you know, in creation yeah. and then endowed it with the dignity of the sacraments. But and, I, I thought that I thought that John Paul the Great uh, created mm -hmm. a new vocation to the consecrated single life too. I mean, don't we have, everybody has a vocation, right? It's right? just vocations yeah. falling out of the sky now. No kidding. Right. Hey, and vocations for female deacons and vocations for, uh, <laughs> ecumenical director of, uh, you know, sister snakebite who's the director of ecumenism at, say, you know, St. Uh, St. Billy Joel parish and, and, and what have you, but <laughs> really you're going to get down to it. It's like single life. Single life is not a vocation either. There's a sense in which if somebody is, you know, living as a hermit, that's a bit different, uh, especially with the perfections needed to properly be a hermit. As you have all these people, oh, we can be a hermit. And then they're just, you know, uh, socially involved all day. And you're like, well, when are these guys actually being a hermit? A hermit back in the day, you meant like you're an anchorite or you're living in a cave in a mountain and you're, and you're praying and, and, and pouring your life forth in prayer. And of course, being a hermit is really complicated. Because you have to have certain perfections for it. And usually those come after long religious observance. So like in the Benedictine tradition, you wouldn't let someone go off to become a hermit just because they felt like it, it would have to be somebody who's been under the direction of a spiritual master for a great number of years. And that, you know, spiritual director determined they were ready to take on life in, in a hermitage because human beings naturally are gregarious. We're, we're social creatures. Most people cannot uh, take, you know, life be, with absolutely nothing for a, a terribly extended period of time, right? For years and years and years. Most of us really can't do that. Some people will go insane. And, you know, there, there's a balance you have to get with your perfections and whatnot. So, you know, but if you're a true consecrated hermit, well, you know, yeah, that's, that, that, that is a vocation. But if you're like, well, I'm going to consecrate myself in a single life. All right. Now what this means is that you are looking at the fact that you didn't get married and you didn't find it, you had a, a vocation to religious life. And so, which is not evil. And if you couldn't get married and, you know, you were discerning God's will, you were prayerfully looking for a spouse, you know, you were, you know, living and increase the virtues and it just didn't happen. There's no sin there. You're not a bad person because you're getting married and you're just trying to take, you know, hey, well, how can I serve God better? Okay, I'm going to make a vow of virginity. And that, that's good. That's great. But I'm going to go you now work in this office place and then come home and then go to mass and then go to this. That's not being called out of the world. That's not a vocation. But what Even if you you're move, doing good things? What if you move to Italy and, and you and you learn how to draw like a nine year old? Uh, oh. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on. All right. First of all, I, I, I'm laughing because the comments in the in the live chat are hysterical that we have the best audience on the internet you people are hysterical I, I i have no business hosting this show you guys should all be the hosts um but we have to say something that's really deeply unpopular here or at least i'm gonna say it i don't, i'm not in favor of halloween and the fact of the matter is is that most of the people 
who are listening to this, my, my guess is have an attachment to Halloween for whatever reason. And I don't know why. And, you're, and don't t- don't give me this, oh, well, we're going to dress up as saints and then we're going to go trick-or-treating because we're going to evangelize our neighbors. Come on, give me a break. You're participating in my opinion. Trick-or-treating is not a vocation. A, thanks, Alberto, in the chat. B, uh, trick-or-treating is participating in, in the demonic. Okay? I don't like it. And, and in the age of when fentanyl is is uh, disguised as, as little candies, every single one of us in this, uh, somebody who's listening to this podcast, either now live or in the aftermath, is going to know some kid who dies because he got a fentanyl pill from someone while he was trick-or-treating. Someone is going to know that person. Someone who, who is hearing my voice right now will know that person. And yet, so many traditionalists are going to die on this stupid hill and say that, well, I've got to, I've got to sanctify the All Hallows Eve by dressing up as a knight and and uh, you know Deus vaulting my neighborhood. Give me a freaking break, James. Where do you stand on this? It's De- Deus vaulting in my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, here's something interesting. Um, uh, knowing my past, uh, where I'm from. I didn't know anything about Halloween until I, I moved here. It was not a thing at all. It's not a thing for most, um, uh, you know, practicing Catholics, uh, at least historically, uh, outside of the United States. And so, yeah, sure, you can say All Hallows Eve, and then we can start to, you know, draw from history and, you know, draw from our, our own ancestors. But as far as the uh, American traditions are, con- are concerned, you know, I've got no attachment uh, to that because it doesn't remind me of anything. It doesn't help me look forward to, uh, the, you know, to the uh, great, you know, feast of all. And so, yeah, of course, when you say All Our Hallows Eve, let's uh, start to remember, you know, the feast day by celebra- celebrating the vigil, if that's what it is. Let's gather in each other's houses, you know, dressed as, have our kids dressed as, uh, Whatever saints, and uh, you know, say some vigil prayers, and then have you know, uh, you know, some uh, a communal uh, get together, and then feast the following day. All this dressing up and going out and candies, and it's just kind of silly, you know. And you don't you don't feast the the day before a feast day on candies, or well, I mean, are you keeping the candies until the feast of All Saints to eat the candies, or are you eating candies that night? It's such a silly thing people try to die on. At least some traditionalists, and you know, so I, I've got no care in the world for uh, Halloween, and it's just. But one... aren't you going to hand out miraculous medals to people who are just going to throw them away? Oh, you know what? When people come to my door on uh, ha- Halloween, I'm one of those, uh, you know, Scrooge, Scrooge people. Lights are off. I don't care. You know, bang on the door, whatever you want. I'm not answering. It's just that's how I am. <laughs> You're a curmudgeon. I am curmudgeon. a curmudgeon, and I've got no Ryan, problems. About Ryan, it. how do you see it? How do you see it? Are you days faulting? <laughs> days faulting. Um, no, I have a complicated view toward it. So within the traditions of Europe, all right, you know, as uh, as we go back in in European history, um, hold on a second, my battery is not properly connected. Um, can you come back to me? Sorry, I got to fix this battery issue. All right, brother. I've I've told this story I think almost every year, but it's the it's 
it tells me what Halloween actually is. The the, the first year I, I arrived in Rome was 2013, and I was there for Halloween, and it was the Vigil of All Saints. So we went to mass. It was it uh, in the Piazza Navona, uh, Sant'Agnese, and I still didn't speak Italian very well, and I was watching everybody uh, receive communion. Of course, the priest was handing out communion in the hand. I saw a guy in a hoodie, and with the pockets in the front, you know, hoodie in the back, sweatshirt. Uh, receive Holy Communion, fake that he was putting it in his mouth, keep it in his hand, and put his hands back into his hoodie, his hoodie pocket. And so, interesting on love, he doesn't go back to his seat. He goes right out of the church. But I meet him at the door because I, I see that he, he obviously faked it. And I think I was the only one that saw, but I, I caused a scene in the sense that I, all I could say was, Damelo, Damelo, give it to me, give it to me. And I wouldn't let him walk out the door. I, I kept getting in the way. I wasn't going to let him get out the door. And eventually... He uh, reached into his pocket, you know, whatever he had in his hand, he crushed and then put into my hand the dust of, of our, our Lord um, and then and then pushed me and then walked out. And one of the ladies, was, I could understand Italian pretty well. I just couldn't speak it. One of the ladies told me, it's like, it's Halloween. It's, it's, there's a lot of black masses that go along all around the city of Rome and people are always looking to steal the Holy Eucharist, uh, especially on Halloween. And so that really opened up my eyes before I was, I was much of the opinion that, Oh yeah, you could dress up. You could have costume parties of saints and, you know, have contests for, for costumes, all that kind of stuff. I mean, to be honest, you can have that any day of the year, uh, dressing up as, co as costumes, but Halloween itself, if you're saying you're celebrating Halloween, what that what other people understand is, is that you're celebrating this, this glorification of demons, a uh, glorification of, of spooky, scary, demonic activity things, not necessarily that you're glorifying the saints, uh, for for All Hallows Eve or, or All Saints Day, no nobody understands that. Um, you can go around trying to turn the tides of the demons and all that kind of stuff, but they're they're always going to be scarier and spookier, and they're going to be and they're going to be what people are more interested. They're not going to be interest, interested in a in a cute little nun walking. You know, something like no, they're not. They're just not um, handing out miraculous medals. You know, uh, sacramentals to people that would throw them away or desecrate them you have responsibility for that. You have to make sure when you give someone a sacramental that they're going to actually appreciate it and not that they're just going to do something sacrilegious to it. Um, so I, I would, I would obviously be, be unfavorable to just handing out miraculous medals from your doorstep to anybody dressed like a, uh, like a demon or a devil or anything like that. They're, they're not going to appreciate it. Um, One of the weird things that I've noticed, and I'll kick it back over to you, Ryan, to close us out. One of the weird things I've noticed about Halloween in the United States is that the the costume dress up has has spread to the adults and that the adults are dressing up now much more so than the children and that the that the costumes are really ornate and and detailed and they're quite frankly very scandalous um there is a there is a whole perversion aspect of halloween and it's one of the holidays so called one of the secular holidays uh, that most of the godless left really looks forward to, especially the no children crowd, right? Like these uh, these dual income, no kids types people. Um, and, uh, you know, these people are the ones who are playing dress up. It's almost like um, if, if you were to like take a drone and uh, hover over Disneyland, you would see that very few children actually go to Disneyland. We're talking about 20 and 30 and 40 year olds that go by themselves to go to Disneyland to play uh, dress up and, and, and play with the princesses and go on the rides and stuff. We have, a, we have an arrested development problem in our country where people just have not become adults. And with Obamacare, you can, have, you know, you can, you can be on your parents' insurance until you're 26 years old. Uh, meanwhile, we've had monarchs, successful monarchs in the history of mankind who were uh, half that age, right? I mean, so 
look at, at the end of the day, I, I think, I think it's, 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 a, it's a, at a minimum, it is a petty and useless and vulgar waste of time. Uh, but what it risks is potentially participating with evil uh, and the demonic Ryan. I think you probably have a more nuanced approach to it. Close us out on this section. You're muted. Okay. Historically, there is a, um, you know, you see some of the antecedents for what we see now. In France, you had the Danse Macabre, where you have, you know, people dress up, but it was all part of celebrating the Feast of All Saints. It wasn't about something secular in itself. And there would be, you know, all kind of macabre, you know, dresses. I mean, literally, Dance of Death, that's what it uh, means in French. And, you know, throughout the Middle Ages, you'd have this type of plague art, and people would dress up as corpses and, uh, you know, dead bodies. And they'd have this, you know, per, uh, a process out with the infant Jesus and, uh, you know, or, or a Pieta and, you know, different things to evoke the, the religious nature of, you know, celebrating the communion of saints the next day. So look toward that presence, but also the reminder of death. You've got uh, there, there. You can just look it up, and you see them in museums, and whatnot. There's a lot of medieval paintings, mostly for because a lot of this is you know directed toward nobility who have their lives pretty good to remind them to be kind to the poor. And you have like a, the tale of a nobleman who rides out and uh, with his friends, and he sees these three corpses. One is uh, like just bones. The other is rotting and, and stinking. The other is like, you know, just dead, you know, like a, a couple weeks or something. And, and they're horrified by what they see. But then the, uh, you know, the, 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 the note, the skeletons note, oh, well, we used to you know be like that. And they essentially tell them, you know, uh, what you are now, we once were, what we are now, you will be. And that's supposed to be the reminder of, you know, addressing with the macabre and, and, and reminding yourself of, um, you know, of death, essentially. And then you have similar things in Austria, Selenwalka, right, where you have this whole week of souls, basically, and which would have certain macabre, you know, type of, you know, demonstrations. But it was mostly focused on praying for the soul. You leave out bread and, um, you know, water for, for the, the dead. You visit the cemeteries extra often. But there is that, you know, a sort of focus on the dead. In England also, England, of course, has a lot of traditions that the local towns would have during, you know, for All Hallows' Eve, where they would, uh, you know, have, you know, different celebrations locally after Vespers. And then they'd arrange in a procession with candles and or torch, and they'd go to the local manor house asking for their cakes and ale and have various songs and hymns they'd sing on the way. And the Lord of the Manor would then provide cakes and ale for all the people uh, who would come. And that's, you know, that's kind of more or less how it was celebrated in old Europe. You could see certain antecedents of things that are now wholly commercialized, trick-or-treating in the march to the Lord's Manor, the dressing up as uh, death to remind yourself of where you're going to go and remind yourself of eternal life that the saints enjoy. Right. And, and so many things. So, so there's there's positive things in those particular elements, but they arose within a certain culture. They arose as part of a Catholic Europe that's now participating in the life of the church in, in the liturgy. Exactly. And when we see something like American Halloween, which is entirely divorced from the true faith and entirely divorced from culture. It's sort of a hallmark creation, like your Coca-Cola, Santa Claus, taking St. Nick and now let's commercialize them. 
and let's insert uh, Macy's and Christmas Day and, and all these things and make it all about presents and trees and these sorts of things and less about what it's really supposed to be, even though there's really nothing wrong with giving a gift or having a tree and, and so on and so forth. You're taking all of these things and you're commercializing and secularizing them and you're making them in the service of mammon. So in and of itself, like that, if you're, you're going to tell you about dressing up as, as at least in terms of as death and to remind yourself of death in and of itself, I don't really have a problem with it, that idea, but the way in which it's, oh, now it dresses the devil and dresses a witch mm-hmm. dresses, um, you know, this and that sort of thing, go out and ask for candy. And, and, you know, in, in healthier times, I think, like you said, it's more, it's more of a, I don't know, it, ranged from maybe 25 years ago a harmless waste of time to uh things that are somewhat taking our focus away from where they should be but then in you know more modern than things you've related there's actually a lot of uh i've actually got a couple of narc cans now in case someone is given one of my kids is given fentanyl disguised as candy by some of these ghouls real ghouls that think that's funny for whatever reason so um, you know, that's, uh, you know, that that's a real concern. And so I think that rather than saying that we're going to baptize Halloween, I mean, the All Saints thing, I, I I do kind of like that. And as much as you're trying to create some kind of tradition around All Saints, I don't see dressing up as saints as, as saying, hey, we're going to baptize Halloween and, and make it Catholic again. I really see it as an attempt to try to, you know, get kids into the the liturgical reality of what we're, we're celebrating the next day. It's just, it's an odd fit especially for a lot of traditional churches where everyone's driving in from somewhere, you know, 20 minutes to two hours away to be a part of these things. And, you know, it's, I kind of think, see that as something more done in a family setting rather than the, or with a couple of families rather than the whole, you know, church, the church event or things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's, um, you know, there's like lots of, there's lots of things there that could be used for good, but there's also so much of the wickedness that I think we should just, again, if we're trying to get away from the world, Let's not become part of um, commercialized Red Sea Merchant Candy Day, because it is the very biggest day for for candy sellers in, in the entire world. Selling really garbage candy. It's not even candy. Anyone you know, worked with any kind of confectionery talent that's actually good. It's a whole lot of corn syrup and a lot of bad stuff, um, seed oils, and, and so many things. Not to mention uh, the uh, drugs slipped in with with everything. So. Um, you know, I, I, it's one of those things that I don't see as evil in itself, but has been just turned toward the bad. And like, you know, with the degeneracy and the costumes and adults cosplaying as, um, uh, you know, whatever. I won't I won't say. But I do want to add, I do have a Halloween decoration. It is my very favorite one. It is a cross and there's a witch on her broom that's crashed into it. And she's all flattened out and smashed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wasn't ready to go first. I know, you have to go first. Well, I wanted to uh, present this book. Uh, Someone brought it to my attention today. I'm going to drop it here in our our private chat first. Um, Of course, the Oblates of St. Augustine, our monastery. Uh, Helping out the traditional religious life, Augustinian life. Uh, Actually, no, that's not the right one. Um, Hold on. Link. There we go. Red Up Publications. It's a it's a book uh, someone who is uh, an acquaintance of mine wrote called A Catechism of Errors. You can find it on uh, Loretto Publications. 
Um, basically, he, it's a critique of the principal errors of the Catechism of the Catholic Church with a foreword written by Archbishop Vigano. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he goes step by step. If you look at the table of contents in the chapters uh, of a problematic catechism, uh, talks about authentic, human, authentic ecumenism, uh, the modern view of the nature and dignity of the church, uh, other religions, ecumenical drive, asking uh, asking the Holy Eucharist and the priesthood, uh, the sacraments in general, where is the pr propitiation of, and the effects. Um, there's there's so many errors that he, that he goes and points out. It's nice to have them all in a uh, in a text in a collected book. Let's uh, look at all these. So it's written by Michael Haynes, and he's actually a a, a journalist. He writes for LifeSite News. Um, so it, it's it's only 15 bucks from Loretto Publications. It's a uh, probably very good to have in these times, especially since that catechism in particular keeps changing and changing and changing. Um, so to, to help share why in, in particular we should be uh, sticking to the catechism of the Council of Trent. So uh, the Catechism of Errors by Michael Haynes. Michael Haynes, he writes for LifeSite. I think right. he said that. Yeah. yeah, good guy. I like that guy. Okay, that's it? That's all you have? That's all I got. <laughs> Oh, <clears throat> me. Good grief. What a grift uh, I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you know, Mike mentioned on, on the run, if you've been following on Twitter, uh, you know the, the saga. And if you haven't, um, about more than two weeks ago now, um, two and a half weeks ago, yeah, something like that. So, you know, two and a half weeks ago, I forget. Um, I had to check my wife into the hospital, which, and if you know me, that's uh, not anything that I would ever particularly want to be doing. Um, you know, we're, we're into alternative medicine, we're into natural health. But it came to that point where, well, we need the emergency services. And so we, um, you know, had it, you know, had because my wife had a lot of pain. His pregnancy had been, it had been fine, gotten particularly difficult. And the, um, you know, the midwife kind of looked with kind of a little, you know, cheap ultrasound thing she had. And then, you know, and said, well, there's, there's, there's something I'm not liking. I don't even know what it is, but you don't even have the strength to give birth at this point. Cause for like a month or so, my wife hadn't been able to eat. We've been trying to figure a number of things around that. So we, you know, came to the hospital. And they had to do an emergency C-section a few days later. And they removed uh, an ovary with a fallopian tube. And the ovary had a tumor that was uh, larger than my child. <laughs> and so delivered the baby safely. Uh, Beatrix, baby Beatrix was born um, very healthy, um, although a month early. And, you know, not, not anything we were particularly planning on. And, you know, and she's just an amazing, amazing baby. You can see her there with my wife. And, um, you know, the doctors were all amazed. All the nurses, you know, said, wow, I, I don't even see full-term babies that alert. And that um, I'll leave you to draw your own conclusions as to why that may be. So, but they, uh, it, it was just amazing. Whereas, uh, but anyway, so my wife, she lost a lot of blood. She almost died uh, twice and just barely, you know, came through. It actually got to the point where I was in the, the NICU and, the doctor came up to tell us to tell me that that she had cancer and i was about to jump for joy because i it sounds really bad but it's because i thought she was dead because it had been so long and i, I was already preparing myself for the worst and then th thankfully the worst didn't come 
And so the last two weeks she's been recovering and getting a lot better, especially with um, with that, that large mask on. But in the, the course of other screenings and other tests, they, they discovered she has esophageal cancer and it's about stage three guessing because they need to do a full cancer screen workup, which we have coming next week. So, um, so some generous people set up this give, send, go, which has covered, um, you know, a lot of bills that came up and, you know, one gas and, and transportation getting, you know, facilities for my, cause I have seven other kids living and, you know, a family that were just wonderful in, in terms of why my brother-in-law and his wife took my toddlers, um, watch them uh and my daughters helped them and then my sons i did people watching my sons um you know, there's various things that we have to get for you know treatment going forward that um you know and the hospital bill itself is of course many many times uh you know this and but a lot of that you know we've got support that's gonna um you know work out a lot of that thank goodness so we have a long road ahead with the the cancer work and um you know, cancer screening. So and it's going to upend and change a lot uh, in my life. So not going to be able to, you know, work 12 hours a day like I, I generally do and be out too late and then come back and kind of take over things that, you know, I've, I've become now a single dad with a disabled adult. And so that, uh, you know, is going to require a lot of, you know, a lot of changes in me, a lot of changes in, in the kids, family, you know, structure and everything. So, um, but anyway, so the conclusion, my wife was discharged from the hospital, uh, yesterday and she's, uh, at home, you know, is, uh, with, uh, baby Beatrix, who's being baptized tomorrow. Thanks be to God. And, um, uh, getting the rest of my kids back. Uh, and so we can start kind of moving forward and dealing with, uh, all the challenges this is going to bring in, in our life. Uh, so, um, so that, that brings, of course, to Mediatrix press orders. You know, I don't think I processed anything this last week. And, uh, you know, I apologize <laughs> if I, I haven't. A lot of uh, my customers who heard about this, though, have, have been extremely generous in, in a lot of different ways. And it's just been absolutely overwhelming that the charity that people have, have um, given the, the monetary you know support. But the, the charity and the prayers, it's just everywhere I go, people are praying for her. And then thanks be to God, because... Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what we do without her, honestly. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's a great grace. It's a great opportunity to suffer. And, and she's been absolutely courageous through this whole process. You get, it's weird in hospitals. So like, and, and of course I've said very harsh things about doctors. Um, you know, I used to have as a, my Twitter, uh, as one of my Twitter taglines, Rime Medicos, which is, uh, um, you know, from our old Roman graffiti, basically bugger the doctors, you know, <laughs> during, during uh, the unspecified virus period. But the surgeons that, that worked on, on her and the oncologist, they were just absolutely wonderful. They were fantastic people, really great to work with. Um, you know, a lot of the nurses were really, really good, always, you know, checking up and on her and everything. So the, uh, you know, just, yeah, it's with the, we were lucky to have a, a decent hospital where you didn't have to deal with uh, the problems that other people have at, at hospitals, and uh, which is why we went to Spokane. We didn't go locally here, which is a nightmare over here um, in uh, Idaho. So, anyway, yeah, I could uh, ramble on about all that, but the, just the support was absolutely wonderful. Uh, so many of the doctors were, were extremely helpful. Then there's some, you know, less so. And it's kind of funny in a hospital. So they, they have like teams they set up. Then they go make the rounds. And then there's doctors that they haven't caught up on the current notes. They're not caught up to the current information. But they have to come in and talk to you anyway. And there were a couple that came in too that, that were just, uh, well, you know, you have you know, trying to 
was surprised that my wife was in a very good, joyful attitude. Like, well, you know, you have cancer, right? You know, you're probably going to die, right? I mean, saying these things is like, who the hell are you? <laughs> but, um, you know, she's just undaunted by, by the whole thing. So, you know, praise be to God. And, and again, uh, like, like I was saying earlier, I could never, ever find anyone like her ever again. And so um, I just wanted to say thank you, everyone, for the support. It's been absolutely overwhelming. And, you know, we got more, a lot of appointments and screenings next week and the week after. And um, anyway, that, uh, yeah, thank you. And, and God bless to everybody who's on here and supported. And if you, yeah, uh, and, you know, if, you, if you've supported me in the past, there's people from the rundown audience that have sent me money, like during the move and things like that. Um, you know, if, if don't feel like you've got to send money into it, unless you got 10 bucks, you know, it, it, you want to throw in. But, uh, you know, but in general, you know, yeah, we'll take everything we can get. Um, you know, I got a, you know, another set of things I had to schedule yesterday. And I, so I said, I better probably up that a little bit to be able to cut some checks. So, uh, but again, thank you to, for, for everyone who supported this. Hello, um, everyone. This week, I want to talk about uh, catechism. I know before I've mentioned a uh, great resource uh, for you as adults, uh, the uh, Council of Trent. Uh, this is something different. This is Pope Pius X's catechism or catechism of Christian uh, doctrine. This is my own copy here. Um, from time to time, I read, read this myself, and I especially try to educate uh, children on the uh, various uh, questions and answers that are uh, listed in this book. This is unlike, I guess this is kind of like the Pentecatechism. You remember the Pentecatechism is the, uh, um, I suppose, the um, uh, British version of, you know, this book, which also is... Uh, we use the Baltimore Catechism here, per se, to educate children. But this is uh, very similar to that. I like this because it's a little bit, um, just a little bit uh, different. Uh, this basically is written in a way that uh, the the answers, uh, sorry, uh, the answers are written in a way that they're easy to, to grasp, especially for uh, little ones who might be, inquisitive and have uh you know things need uh, uh answered you can kind of sit sit with them and uh go through these questions and answers um much more easily than i guess you would the uh baltimore catechism um but this is very it's a very good resource and um, you should try to pick it up um i don't know exactly how you would do that except uh there are pdf versions available throughout the place and I know this, you know, because this is, uh, you know, fairly schismatic, you know, uh, being being that um, it doesn't have any updates uh, to it, it might be harder to find. Uh, when I say updates, I'm, of course, referring to the Second Vatican Council updates. Um, and you'll see some disclaimers, actually, on some websites saying, well, this has not been updated. I don't know why the Catholic Church needs to would need to update its truth if it's truth. Why does it need to be updated? <laughs> yeah, you know. Anyway, answer that yourself. In any case, uh, <laughs> this is a great book, and everyone should uh, pick this up. And if you want to sit with your kids 
Uh, tomorrow, for instance, would be a great day during a day of rest to sit with your kids and sort of, uh, you know, peruse the, uh, this book and, um, you know, uh, open up question and answers and, uh, you know, see what the little ones have to say. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the rundown, I this week would just like to thank many of you who have been the uh, Veronicas out there for me. I am celebrating on this rundown a second consecutive stunning legal victory on my end, and I'm very excited about that. Um, I have had my Joseph of Arimathea. I have had my Judases who have betrayed me for less than 30 pieces of silver. Uh, but many of you, and I've been humbled. I was in Baltimore in the National Catholic region, or National Capital region, uh, this past week. And I, I've met so many of you who are the Veronicas, and you know who you are, uh, who have launched and sustained an effective prayer campaign uh, for my little family. And... Um, and it's been humbling. It's been stunning. It's been breathtaking, really. Um, how many people out there can see the various situations for what they are um, and and for all of the work that you've done, the spiritual work that you have done, which is the hardest type of work to do. Um, and I just can't. It's really taken my breath away um, to, to have met so many of you that I've never known, that you've never reached out to me, that you never told me you were saying novenas for me. And, um, yeah, I, 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 had I not prepared to, to say this on the podcast, I, I, I don't, I think I would have been otherwise rendered speechless, which as you can imagine would be a rare uh, condition for me. Uh, but notwithstanding that fact, um, thank you. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your spiritual works of mercy. Um, I've won. And, um, and I'm moving on and, um, and with, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. And it's, it's really good news, um, all the way around. So I'm, I'm very excited about all of that, but what I'm even most excited about is the fact that we have delayed you now this Saturday evening for the most important segment, which is the unpopular opinion segment. We always tend to begin with Ryan, although he's off screen now, so I'm not sure if he's ready to deliver his unpopular opinion. Uh, I will kick it over to Brother Martin to lead us off with the unpopular opinion for this week. My unpopular opinion for this week is going to have to do with PayPal. Uh, they apologized once, saying that, oh, we weren't going to randomly or automatically deduct from your account $2,500 for saying something that we consider to be hate speech. Then they go back and put it back in the terms of service. We all love using PayPal because it's so efficient, so easy to use when purchasing things, uh, when donating money, especially uh, we as the Oblates use PayPal. We have it on our on our website. Um, but I think this week, or no, last week, uh, Dr. Anthony Stein on Return to Tradition put out a video uh, suggesting new um, alternatives to, to PayPal, Christian alternatives, or at least free speech alternatives. Um, me personally, I'll be looking into which ones um, are going to be more convenient and practical, obviously, for putting on websites and, and for people. And uh, of course, I mean, I'll keep it open for those who are a little bit slower in making um, some transitions. But uh, yeah, I think the, tra just the transition from PayPal 
is absolutely necessary. Um, of course, I mean, it takes some time because it involves money. You want to make sure your money's safe, all that kind of stuff to, to, and, uh, to make this happen. But I think uh, starting now, it needs to be done. Transition away from PayPal. Transition away from PayPal, James. Unpopular opinion. I'm not sure how unpopular that is. I think you've got a real shot this week at winning. How about you transition away from me? <laughs> I, can't, I can't transition away from you because Ryan just said he needs two minutes and okay. I always go last. All right. Well, uh, I actually, believe it or not, I actually had an unpopular opinion ready uh, and I just lost it. But I think what it was, um, it had something to do with Halloween candy and I cannot remember exactly what it was. Um, and it may not have been unpopular in that regard so the, the jury would, will have to decide uh oof. um is it unpopular to say you know halloween celebrations are just fake i mean where i'm struggling here <laughs> no you got it look you're you you're stealing the the halloween i uh what opinion yeah <laughs> you're appropriating it now uh, I need two minutes. Yeah. Hey, blacks do not appropriate stuff. Okay. That's a myth. <laughs> you owe him. Yes, exactly. You owe me. Yeah. Check uh, the privilege. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't check my privilege. I'm sorry. At least three fifths. <laughs> that was based. Uh, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, on the three fifths note, are you, do you have at least three, <laughs> do you have three fifths of an unpopular opinion? Um, it's more than one 1064th Indian. So, <laughs> um, yes. So my unpopular opinion is that there are, as I mentioned, you know, my wife and I've always been ensconced into alternative forms of medicine. And, and we've always had until this very last one home births. And we've always been of the opinion that if you have an actual emergency, well, then you use emergency services. But otherwise, uh, having a baby at home should be perfectly normal and, and perfectly fine. All things being, you know, being equal, right? Uh, you're not dealing with emergency situations. Within the home birth community, there are some people that because of either they came to you know, home birthing later and they had really bad, you know, hospital births or they, they just, they, they become dogmatically energized. You should never go to the hospital for any reason whatsoever, whatever it is. And now I have some sympathy when you're talking about like, if everything's normal, then, you know, why not? But at the same time, uh, a woman needs to be comfortable with where she's giving birth the right place to give birth is where the mother feels comfortable not where uh some ideological decision says she should be whether that is that that it should be in the hospital or it should be at home or it should be in a birthing center or what have you that the, the medicine can, it can never be an all or nothing thing and so um and, and there are people that that oh my goodness they just shelly or i never find a name that's not Someone I know, someone named Shelley. Let's change that. Um, you know, Barbara Sue. Oh, I look up to her, and she knows uh, everything about this. Maybe I should listen to her in a case where she might have a, a serious risk factor that she should be checking with medical professionals about. So, we're the allopathic medicine side of things. 
you know, for the emergency types of things you got to look at in high risk pregnancy. So, and then doesn't, and then has serious complications and that could be really bad. So my unpopular opinion is that those people in the home birth movement that are an absolutely all or nothing, never, ever, even in emergency situations, go to a hospital. Those people are actually done more harm, both for the movement to have home birth and for women individually than, than the doctors who screw things up so, so spectacularly. That's wait a I'm second, talking. Ryan. Wait, wait a second, Ryan. I'm sorry. How, how are you going to put this on a Twitter poll? What exact what kind of magic are you going to to make this fit? Gravity. <laughs> Don't get me started <laughs> on that. <laughs> I say brevity is about to be my unpop. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I've prepared a four part unpop. So I don't know if you guys are ready for it. Well, we're ready. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, my unpopular opinion <laughs> is as follows, ladies and gentlemen, especially to the gents talking to you until, and unless we recognize what it means to have the authority, we cannot necessarily fight the usurpers of our authority in our house. We as men, as husbands and fathers have the dual obligations, the duties to provide and protect. We have to provide spiritually and materially. We have to protect spiritually and materially. To provide spiritually and materially, to provide spiritually, we have to provide grace to our family. We have to provide our prayers and sacrifices to our family. To, pr to provide materially, we have to provide a roof, we have to provide food, we have to provide all the material needs that our family needs. To protect spiritually, we need to maintain a wall of separation between our family and the evils of the world. We have to keep the evils out. To protect spiritually, we have to provide the prayers of protection, uh, which actually Father Ripperger puts out a wonderful book about that, how to do that, which prayers to say. Uh, we have to protect our family spiritually every single day. And, uh, and, and most importantly, we, we can't let the demons in by our own personal sins. So we got to stay in a state of grace. To protect our family materially, we have to protect them physically. We have to be willing and able and capable of using controlled, measured, and proportionate amounts of violence uh, to protect our family and, and their safety. We cannot necessarily... Uh, think about the usurpation of our authority, especially what government does, with, unless we understand our authority in those four contexts, uh, to, to provide and protect spiritually and materially. The government usurps our authority as husbands and fathers, both spiritually and materially. The government tells us, for example, let's take provide. The government wants to provide for our, our family. The government wants to exclude the family, the, the father from the family. The government wants to subsidize single motherhood, which is one of the singular errors in our culture. Single motherhood is to be abhorred. It is one of the worst things that's ever been invented. It is shameful, and it needs to be destroyed. Single motherhood is destroying this country, this culture, your parish, your archdiocese, wherever you live, single motherhood is a cancer. It has to be destroyed. But government supports it and uh, and sanctions it and subsidizes it. Uh, let's go to uh, let's go to provide spiritually. You're supposed to provide for your family spiritually. The government wants to tell you what's good and bad. The government wants to provide their values to your children. The government wants to groom your children. okay? So um, in, in terms of protect, 
The government doesn't want you having a gun. They don't want you protecting your family. They want you to call 911. They want you to rely on their police force. They want you to go to the government for protection. That's a usurpation of the man's authority in his family, in his kingdom. The government doesn't want you to protect spiritually your children. They want to groom them. They want to introduce uh, all kinds of horrors uh, that the United Nations says five-year-olds should be taught. Okay? So until and unless... My point is, until and unless men understand their dual authority in their household to provide and protect spiritually and materially, until and unless that happens, we will be ill-equipped and incapable of combating the usurpation that our evil governments around the world and our evil local, state, national, our evil uh, new world order is trying to impose upon our families so bottom line, guys, it's time to man up. That's the unpopular opinion. Hey, that was a four-parter. Ryan walked away. Brother turned his camera off. I've lost everybody. I, I don't even want to. I, I don't I know here. what's happening. The, the rundown is here. over now. <laughs> hey, I'll never leave you. <laughs> James, you were the only one. You were like the. You were like at the foot of the cross. Yeah, St. John. St. <laughs> John the Black. St. <laughs> John the Black. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I do I do again apologize for that silly video. We should have never aired it. Here's something beautiful and uh, uh, that you can please don't be a cat. Go on. Please don't I know. Be a I'm cat. sorry. I, I didn't know. It was really dark. It's terrible, but probably true.